Hi, this is Dave Gershman, and welcome back to the Reselect Music Podcast. For this episode, Eric, Sarah, and I decided to discuss the music of the Kinks. The Kinks have a huge discography, and uh, similarly to Elton John and uh, Joni Mitchell, we had to trim it down. So we focused again, as we have been when this is necessary, on what we consider, what most people consider, their classic years. Um, in this case, that would be uh, 1964 when they debuted, uh, up through the Muswell Hillbillies album, which was 1971. There were a total of five albums that we actually listened to in their entirety. Uh, the rest, the first few, uh, we kind of just uh, did a bit of an overview of those, kind of the, the best of from those first four albums. Hopefully for you Kink fans... You won't be too upset that we uh, passed over face-to-face. It's a great album, but we just needed to keep it reasonable. Uh, so we listened to everything from Something Else by the Kinks up through Muswell Hillbillies. So without further ado, here's our discussion of the Kinks. Also, Harry Nelson. Do you like Harry Nelson? I don't know. Put the lime in good. Is that no? That's that is oh, him. Belafonte. No, that's Harry Nelson. No, no, he wrote really? that. Oh, Belafonte. That's not indicative of his songwriting. Really? Yeah, it's crazy because it's a super iconic song. It is. Well, he was also really into drugs and alcohol for a while. So I think well. I'm, I'm guessing he was really stoned when he wrote that one. But um, so right. fun to sing when you're drunk. Uh huh. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, the Muppets like it a lot. <laughs> Which, <laughs> that's usually a sign of a good song, actually. If the, if the um, Muppets. <laughs> oh, so many things that I want to cite later. I've written under one of my song criticisms. Oh, Muppet song? Oh my god, seriously? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> We're actually recording, so we can start anytime. Um, can I ask one more question? Sure. Just that's not related to the Kinks specifically. Yeah. The other question after, like, what have you listened to? How are you getting comfortable with the flow? What's planned for the future? Do you find that preparing for doing this conversation makes you excited about listening to music in a new way than you had previously? Because you think, oh, that artist, actually, I'm curious to what their stuff sounds like more than I would have been because this is making me focus hard. It's kind of right. This is a whole different kind of listening. So mm-hmm. it, it definitely, yeah, it like for the Kinks, I didn't have to listen this hard probably because I, I know this stuff so well already, but, but doing it anyway. Hmm definitely make I mean I'm still finding new things that I sure. hadn't noticed before you right. know so I if I did that with an artist I was not familiar with it would yeah. be really that's why I think yeah. we should do Lady Gaga right because I, I, that it would be like probably a lot of it you wouldn't like if I, well that's the thing my fear is that oh my like, god what if I don't like them and I have to keep okay. listening <laughs> Well, but then you can do it at least clinically. If you use but, enough time, yes, thank you, Joni you can just say, like, yes. okay, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to take notes, I'm just going to listen to this start to finish. Yeah, yeah. And if I don't like it, it I never listen to it again. Yeah. Right. No. Well, obviously, that, that's true. And, yeah. and um, I think it's a good good exercise, really, to make yourself listen to something you think you don't like. Because sometimes, it's, honestly, stuff really does sometimes take a while to mm-hmm. grow in you. I mean, it's true. Yeah, you know, there are plenty of albums that... I didn't think we were that special the first couple times I listened. Mm. But then you get to third, fourth. Yeah. Sometimes it takes longer than that. Even sometimes yeah. something will click just depending on when you're listening to, like what you're doing. What, you know. But the ones that click the first time, 
the ones that you listen to and like every song you're like what? Right. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't believe I'm even hearing this. That's true. Well, I mean, I'm not saying that's that pretty special. Album. The first, right, no, but I'm not saying that what you said doesn't have merit because I agree with you. Right, right. But not every album needs to take that line. No. There's a, there's a a characteristic of listening that you guys are familiar with that eludes me still, and, and I'm excited to. As we as we go through these exercises, develop that skill level in listening to music, and that is how songs on an album are like uh-huh. similar to each other. Or there's uh-huh. a flow to them, and I, yeah. I don't quite yeah. get that. It's yeah. hard. Yeah, it's, I think it's well, really hard to get. The Kinks are. Okay. You, you yeah. told me about Lola versus the Power Man, yeah. blah blah blah, yeah. and how it was a concept album. Yeah. And I tried really hard to listen that way to get that flow. Yeah. I don't know if I got it. I, 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 I have a lot to say about that one. That particular. Album. Good. I'm excited yeah. to talk about. Yeah. It. Um, well, since we're started here, we could just sort of, I, I might even include some of what we've been saying. Yeah. This week, we're talking about the Kinks. We, we've not done their entire discography because that's massive. It's like 30 albums. It makes my head want to explode. And I don't think I could do that. possibly listen to their later stuff in the same way that I listen to this. Well, that's a whole different story. But we're, we're listening, we've listened to their 60s output and um, the first couple of 70s albums. Actually, why don't we discuss what we've listened to yeah please exactly i will uh well for the first four albums we put together a playlist to try to condense those because we just had to keep it reasonable oh um you should post this playlist somewhere online for people oh that would be good i'll do that in the podcast notes so we had the playlist that we put together uh that was including all their earliest output which uh pretty much covers all their big hits in america uh the the majority of them so we, we did the first three albums, uh, uh, first four albums, including Face to Face, which I think would have been a really good album to include on its, in its entirety as well, but for the sake of uh, being efficient, it wasn't really practical. So then we, uh, we listened to the entirety of the Village Green Preservation Society, uh, Something Else by the Kinks, which actually came before the Village Green. Mm-hmm. Um, we listened to Arthur. Uh, it's a much longer title than that, which mm. uh, and the decline and fall of the British Empire. You just couldn't just rattle that off. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I got it right. Mm. And then uh, Lola versus Power Man and the Money Go Round Part One, and then Muswell Hillbillies. They never made a part two, right? No. Uh, apparently, I did read that there was uh, potential for a part two. He, he had a bunch of songs that ended up being a different album, mm. but he was considering a part two. There should be a collection, a list somewhere of all the. The rock records that are the part ones part that one. the part yeah. two never that, got yeah, made. Yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting. Right. Well, it struck Michael. me as a as a possibility they never intended to do a part two. They just have weird titles for their albums, well, and maybe that's just part of the weirdness. To I, I think they one. included that's part right. one for that reason too. Yeah. I think it was just it's just for the what the hell. Yeah, yeah. I should. That's probably... my sense of organization. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably mention the years uh, quickly. Uh, don't remember offhand. Oh, uh, I think something else by the Kings was '66. Uh, Village Green Preservation Society was 67 or am I off by a year yeah I think I'm off Um, I think it was 67 68 Arthur was 69 Mm -hmm. Lola was 70 and Muswell Hillbillies was 71 that is correct okay where should we begin Sarah you have some very interesting opinions about all this do you want to do you want to should we start well do you want to talk generally about the kings first or uh... yeah let's go big picture right sure um so what i what i've been thinking is that the kinks are like one of the backbones of like what is considered cool culture for since they started 
even even at the time they were I think even at the time and really? then more so like when it comes to people I've met in my life that are into the kinks they've yeah. always been the smartest people the most interesting people the most like kind of I don't know just dynamic people mm-hmm. but I but like non-mainstream right well they probably qualify as one of the most non-mainstream mainstream bands I mean in some ways they are a mainstream band because of a couple of hits. Yeah, big, well, and then the hits. 70s, like we didn't we didn't cover this in our listening, but in the 70s they came back as like an arena rock band, uh, which a uh, whole other slew of hits they had in America. Hmm. Um, but they were a very different band at that point. So in the 60s they were definitely out of the mainstream for most of that time. Uh, again, in America, I guess specifically, because I think they, they were always hit makers to some degree in England. Hmm. Well, and there's a reason for that, but... I don't know if that's this is a good time to get into that, but they uh, well, they they had very big hits starting with "You Really Got Me" mm. and "All Day and All of the Night" and "So Tired of Waiting for You" mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, and those were big hits here for a couple of years, and then they they toured a lot and they continued to be successful, but then their fighting got the better of them. They they had a lot of in band fighting. They well, um, they had a lot of members come and go, yeah. No, not during this time at all. Oh. They had this was a very steady lineup throughout the '60s. Yeah, just four of them. There was a, a Ray Davies, his brother Dave, on guitar, and um, Mick Avery on drums, and Peter Quaife on bass, and that lasted through like '70, 1970, '69 or '70. And there was a lot of infighting among them. They well, Ray and Dave as brothers. Uh, often do, or uh, they they fought, but they were actually a little more physical, I think, than some brothers. They <laughs> are right? they're kind of comparable to the um, the Oasis uh, uh, issues with um, the Gallagher brothers. I don't know if you, how much you know about Oasis, but they uh, are they famous for like physical fighting? Oh yeah, really? I just uh, thought they were I, famous for being douchebags. No, they they, they <laughs> I think they often. This is legit, by the way. <laughs> I think they, well, that is true too. They were they were they were that seriously, but they just. Douchebags. They they also <laughs> they also I think had physical citation. physical fights between also them. that yeah. that just shores up my argument right so but Ray and Dave had lots of fights like this too they some physical but the f- biggest physical fighting was between Dave and Mick Avery the drummer mm-hmm. they kind of hated each other and uh, being on the road together all the time the band oh, ended up man. being at each other's throats. They were just, they're a hard group to live with, I think. That would be yeah. so awful. Yeah. Well, so, you can make it work, though. So many bands can. did. I guess. But I think still produced a lot of great hits somehow. And play together. I think yeah. I think this leads into another question well, I have for you. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I, okay. Well, save that for just one second. Uh, mm-hmm. Ray Davies, I read something where he says, uh, as a, an older man, uh-huh. this is in the 90s or later that he said this, he says, I'm... I'm easy to love, but impossible to live with. So, what, what was your? Uh, I was basically saying that I that makes perfect sense. Like, he kind of has doesn't he's a dick, right? Like <laughs> right. He's, yeah, he's not a, a nice person. Like, it doesn't mean he's mean or cruel, but he definitely isn't nice. No, no, he's not. And I think, I think that is something that was played up even more in the press, mm-hmm. vis-a-vis that article that we were talking about. This amazing thing that Dave and I both read, which is a review of a Beatles record that Ray Davies made in a newspaper, uh-huh. and the headlines for it were like, "He says it's a rubbish album," but he didn't 
I mean, he's kind of said that, but he also said a lot of good stuff about it. But the press clearly like used that as the headline for it. So I think it was his public persona. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? That he was like not. He was kind of a bad I, boy, right? Like he was like snarky and he kind was. Of. Or I, I I don't think he was playing it up so much as that's just the way he was. I mean that that ended up being his public persona because he couldn't help himself. I think. Or maybe I mean, he just was outspoken and didn't want he, and didn't play bullshit with the press. That's a lot. And then they took of advantage too. of it. Well, and and he says a lot of things uh, in articles I read or whatever that indicate he's he just likes to be alone. He doesn't like people very oh. much. He's, he's one of those kind of uh, just somewhat introverted when it comes down to it, which is it was a weird juxtaposition with like being a, a performer on stage, you know. But but it it can be a. For years, yeah. being a performer. Yeah, it's not like he had a flash for right. a couple of years and he, he didn't quit. Like he's been right. He's mm-hmm. not one of those people who had the the suddenly. It's like oh, I can't do this anymore. You know, he just kept going with it, and, um, and maybe that would be that's one of the things that makes him so cranky is that he's pushed himself to just keep doing this because he can't stop writing songs and he needs the attention in some way. But well, yeah, he must not be able to stop writing songs because yeah. their output is insane. Oh, it's right. crazy. Yeah. And being with these other He's people got, in the band was the only way, only other way that he could like disseminate it. Yeah, right. That that's that was his vehicle to mm-hmm. get it done. And um, was there ever like any outright fights when they're performing or anything like that? That'd be hysterical. Yeah. Well, at the end of one of the fights, <laughs> uh, Mick Avery took his symbol and threw it at Dave Davies <laughs> and cut him in his face. Oh he, my god! I, I read one thing that said nearly decapitated him, but I don't think it was quite that Whoa. severe. But after that, they, they almost never talked to each other. They just hated each other. Because Mick Avery was a late addition to the band lineup. They were, the, the, main, the other three of them had been working together, and then this, they had to bring a new drummer in. As far as Dave was concerned, he never, Mick never fit in. They didn't click. And, uh, hmm. and then, you know. it's, it's remarkable <laughs> with, with all this discord among them, they were still able to produce music. I mean, how, how does that work? Right. How do well, people do that? And that's what I wondered about that too. Because just picture I mean, them in the studio being like, "Shut the fuck up and play the goddamn song, okay?" And then they like knock I, it out. I think they have. Well, they were really good musicians, and I think they were dedicated to playing well and to getting the stuff recorded. And I guess that just overcame their occasional or frequent dislike for each other. Um, but I was going to say that there's another. So the that that kind of atmosphere of tension and infighting and outfighting. They, they hated the music industry too because they, I mean, you know, which for good reason, frequently. Mm-hmm. In the 60s especially, I guess, the, the union, I think it's still unionized, but the, the touring, um, well, touring brought you in contact with all the, the stage hands and the managers and the publicists and all this stuff and, and they just didn't like, or Ray especially, I think, didn't like the music machine, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so at one particular concert the like the head of the union for the stage handlers or whatever you would call them um, came up to him and started hurling insults at him because it wasn't even necessarily at him personally it was something to the effect of like all you limeys coming here to America think you can just like ride the coattails of the Beatles and um, that's crazy considering that they wrote a song about the union man yeah well, uh, yeah, that's on one of their records, and all yeah. it is is like the union man keeps some food on my table. Hmm. Well, there there might be a different union. I, I don't. It doesn't matter. But yeah, it's no, he, labor union. Yeah, yeah. That's I don't think he had a problem with labor unions necessarily. Yeah, but, but then it's crazy that he got screamed at by yeah. a dude. So right. that makes me wonder. Well, so what happened? Well, was he? They had this. I'll bring it up later. Face to face argument, mm-hmm. and 
Ray ended up punching him. <laughs> and he got punched back, too. But uh, that led to them being banned from touring in America for four years. Wow. From 66 through 70, huh. or 65 through 69, they couldn't come to America to tour. And that... Because Ray Davies punched somebody. Yeah, they, they got this reputation, what, deserved or not. You know, uh -huh. it's not. I don't think it was all their fault, but... You know, they were confrontational people. They were not allowed back because you had to be approved, I guess. And maybe this is still the way it works. I don't know. Yeah. So they weren't allowed to come do major tours. And as a result, I think that had a huge impact on their lack of hits in America after yeah, that. Yeah, definitely, um, I would think so. You've got to, back then especially, I think you had to tour to support your albums. You know, you had right. to... Right. Well, that, that's what, kind of why they tour, is Right, to, exactly. I mean, that's the whole point. Exposure. Um, and... And so as a result, what they did is they had to stay in England, essentially, and just record and perform there. And the thing is, this may have actually had an effect on what they ended up recording, because they, they went from these big power rock songs, um, more general subject matter, like love and heartbreak and all that stuff, and he became more of the... The novelist, I think I use that term. Like he's like he writes like little novels and he, every song, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and and it became very British. All, all the the subject matter became very British, and they're they're often considered like the most British of the big rock bands. Hmm. And who who's to say that that would have maybe that wouldn't have happened if they had been touring touring America and and having a whole different outlook on things. I've been talking a lot, so why don't you guys? <laughs> well, I'm thinking many many things about your... all the stuff that you just said, like how it's all jumbled in my head I can't even get it out at once about them going to smaller Ugh. so their first hit You Really Got Me changed music for the forever yeah it basically started punk music right it was yeah so it was definitely probably the pre precursor to punk music it was like the needle dropping on the record yeah. for punk music and did you did you read where the sound came from mm -mm. Dave apparently was just I don't know if he, out of anger or something, but he, he took a razor blade and slashed the speaker on his guitar amp. And when he did that and started playing, it was give this, like, you know, obviously it's going to be this awful sounding thing. And, and then they, they pumped it through another amplifier and they got that sound. Interesting. Because there was no distortion uh, foot pedals back then, like yeah. they use now or whatever. That, that, so that was considered the first use of distortion on a, <laughs> on a rock record. So. That's really cool. And as you said, it. Can, can you whip out the uh, oh yeah let's yeah. get the music let's here hear it, man. Jeez. but that's like one of the greatest music stories I've ever heard yeah that's I'm gonna really put cool, it, I'm gonna man. be completely honest <laughs> that, that's incredible I did not know that yeah yeah but it makes so much sense because honestly to me and I'm gonna drop this bomb right now okay I don't think they ever lived up to the promise of that song after that wow. they did amazing huh. shit yeah amazing shit and I'm getting very loud they did okay, they wrote so much amazing music. But nothing compares to that. And I think that is like the equivalent of the Velvet Underground being a band that like, what do they say, like 1,100 people saw them play ever, but right, every right. single person that saw them play started a band. The, yeah. The it's, Kinks are definitely in that vein. Or yeah. They were so influential to uh, yeah. other music. But I just don't think anything else they made is it has the power, the raw you, power of that I song. I cannot agree with No? You. Great. Please. No. Please tell me no, I'm wrong. You know, at, going through their discography and then their, their songs, you know, they're, they were an unfamiliar band to me prior to uh, this exercise. There we go. I'll, I'll let you talk. And, and, and okay. as it went through, I became more familiar. And then certainly the, the hits that uh, we, we've all heard before... Uh, 
I recalled from uh, my childhood and listening to those things. But you know, Waterloo Sunset, for instance. Amazing I just loved that song back then, and I love it now, man. It's Every time I'd get that album out, that's one I wanted to. That, I couldn't wait for that song. Robert Christgau mm-hmm. said, "I think I told you this. Mm-hmm. Maybe you read mm-hmm. this somewhere." He, Robert Christgau, the music critic, said it's the most beautiful lang- song in the English language. It's, it's, it is and lovely. It and, is an amazing. This, this song, is a fun, great song, and you know Van Halen redid it, and I like their version as well. Mm-hmm. But I, but I think I think the Kinks did manage to. Uh, Surpass it, it depends. Uh, yeah, at least match. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think. think the, I think. Do you think they made what they made after? Like to me, this sounds like the beginning of the greatest rock album I will ever hear in my life. <laughs> but then instead, uh. is the reality <laughs> of their output. And and I again, I agree. Waterloo Sunset. When I heard it the first time, which was prepping for this, because I don't have a familiarity with the the breadth of their their music. Mm-hmm. I the second I the first time I listened to it, I was like, oh, of course, this song was already in my head, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'd never heard it before. And it's the same way I feel every time I listen to it. I feel like I know all the words already, that I've already, I've known the melody for my whole life. Yeah, yeah. After hearing it for, like, just a, just a second. Well, Eric, you were saying something like that, too. Like, when you first started listening to that playlist, like, oh, I know this one. Oh, I know this one. Yeah, you know, as I was going through, there's there's half a dozen songs easily that I've I attributed to somebody else. I thought Eric Clapton did Lola, for instance. Oh. <laughs> you know? I, I just wasn't familiar yeah, with the I keys. <laughs> really? yeah, I, think, I, I don't think but I don't think I thought it was that song yeah but then I heard that and I knew this song yeah but the reason I know the song Lola is from the Futurama episode wow you, that's where you correct heard that's the song? first time I ever heard it I wow. knew of it I didn't even actually know it wasn't Futurama but that that's well that Brannigan sings a karaoke <laughs> version of it wow and it crashes a spaceship but it's because it's so bad <laughs> It's hilarious. It's amazing. Um, but, yeah, I mean... Well, I, and, and among their other songs, like Waterloo Sunset, you know, Sunday Afternoon, you know, Sunday, yeah. and, and I would have known it by the title, but as soon as the thing right. came on for well, five notes. Yeah, I mean, there are some songs, they have a ton of songs from those first couple of years that are, I think they're just embedded in, in the rock consciousness of anybody who's over a certain yes. age, at least. Um, and, and maybe coming back to what you were saying a moment ago, because they didn't tour it in the late 60s, Mm-hmm. You know they're they're out there, but not a lot of people in America. Yeah, well, are I, familiar with the band, so they wouldn't are well, necessarily some, familiar with where it came from. Yeah, something else was I think the last album that came out just about the time they stopped touring. Um, so they had a hit or two off of that. I think Waterloo Sunset was a minor hit here, but then like Village Green Preservation Society mm-hmm. was completely it, it it barely sold any copies here at all. I think it was like in the <laughs> Sarah's making faces. I'm like, which we'll get right. to it. <laughs> we'll get to that in a few minutes. But, but, so before that, they had "You Really Got Me" all day and all of the night. Uh, Great song. So tired of waiting for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, set me free. Stop your sobbing. Yeah, set me free. Which wasn't as big, a, really that big a hit for them. No, it's more known for still. the pretenders. Uh, till the end of the day, where mm-hmm. have all the good times gone? Dedicated mm-hmm. for our fashion. Yeah, that was a big dandy. one to me. I didn't know that was a King song. Either. Yeah. Um, another beautiful song is "Days." I don't know if you, if that one jumped out at you at all. Well, here, why don't I just since yeah. we have music available. Yeah, the power. Whip it out. And actually, that turns out to have been a bit of a hit here too. Uh, I was not really aware that, that one was as well known. It's on a, um, a greatest hits album that I have. 
Nobody's whipping anything out for the listeners to understand. You can't see what's happening. David's just scrolling through his phone. <laughs> okay, maybe not the best choice. <laughs> Descriptive. Uh... Where are y'all's minds? Yeah. I'm just trying to make sure, you know, that we can see what's happening. Right, I, I am, they can't see looking how finely dressed playlist. we are right now. Oh, yes, that's in right. our best in velveteen our tailored suits. Yeah. To match the, because they performed in suits, did they? They they, they were, were suits early on. Yeah, yeah. yeah they were, they it's, did the old Beatles kind of thing. It is weird watching them sing. You really got me in, in suits. suits. I know they should hmm. be. That is. They should be punk. Unsettling. And, yeah. Uh, so days is this one here. Sorry, little boy. This one's similar, I think, to War of the Sunset and that kind of. Really pretty melody, and yeah, they have a lot of pretty music. It's a su- that's he's a, su- a great melodist. That was such a surprise to me. I did yeah. not expect them to have pretty music. Mm-hmm. I should have known better. But yeah, they're they're the breadth of their music is so so wide. You know, they have this right here, and then there's you really got me. And, and then so there's all the rest of it that just sounds know. like the Beatles. Uh, yeah, or we were just in one a second ago. Okay, okay. It sounded like the Rolling Stones. Okay, no, all right. right. You're right, you're right. And then they have a bunch of same like sound like Randy Newman, which is basically that yes. whole Hillbilly Muswell album. It's just like all Randy Newman. corny ass old man yeah. music. Yeah. That record is it's a dad band's influence. wet dream. They are. <laughs> that is what that is. That, that is a that band was... of 50 year old dudes. Playing in a crap bar but with that women was shimmying of, way too much. Okay, okay. The, like the, howling that song alcohol so the bar sings. Right, that's them. the point. He inhabits these characters, and he writes so often from characters' perspective, and and he. That's why I I, I consider him like a playwright in every song. Is oh, like first song. he was a novelist, and now he's a okay. Playwright. Sometimes novelist. Which one, Ray or Dave? By the way, I need clarification. Oh, Ray, Ray. Okay, Ray so, is the one that wrote the majority of the music. Right, mm-hmm. Ray and Dave is the one that got a symbol lobbed thrown at him. Yeah. Yes, almost. almost I, I just want to yeah. Dave, Dave was the guitarist, right. and he was a really good guitarist. Okay. And um, Ray is Ray is the playwright and the novelist. Ray is the playwright <laughs> and the most mostly the singer. Um, where, what was my point? I completely <laughs> forgot. He inhabited. He completely yes. inhabited characters. His in characters. Yes. Uh, he he wrote from the characters' perspectives, and so frequently he sings from them as well. And oh yeah, the voices. Right, he actually does voices sometimes. Uh, which terrible. You don't like that, okay? And I, I, I don't think it always works, but sometimes Ape it does. Man. Yeah. That accent that he puts on for that song. <laughs> there, there are a few. It's goofy. There are well, that's a really goofy song. Granted, I but mean, the Beatles did Yellow Submarine, and right, he knows yeah. all the words to that. Right, so exactly. Yeah. Maybe it's got its place. I, th- I think he um, he just he tried to be very. He was very theatrical and. So a lot of that, like in Muswell Hillbillies, I think the older sound was actually because that's the way he was—he was singing from the perspective of this, this old man who'd been around for a long time, and so he was like so alcoholic right. ruined it's his dad life. rock. I guess I, I don't. It's a dad I, band. I, I, it's a dad I don't know band. how that. I don't really agree with that perspective. Do you but, know what a dad band is? Do you know what type of music that is? I I, I don't use that term. I've heard it. Do you know? But do, do you like? Okay. Kind of. I don't. So it's like I was at a bar for New Year's Eve, and there was a live band playing, and it was older dudes. But the style of music, I was like, what? It wasn't rock and roll. 
It wasn't R&B. It wasn't country. It was maybe kind of Yacht Rocky, but way more up-tempo. So it was this bizarro, magical thing that I couldn't put a finger on, but kind of incorporated all bits of all of those things <laughs> a little bit. And then at the end, you're kind of like, well, it's not... Combining all those things together doesn't really work. It's not that fun to listen to. It's kind hmm. of cheesy. That's dad music. Dad band. Dad that's band. a dad band. So that's why I think that Muswell Hillbilly's record is a dad band, but you're telling me I'm completely right. Because if he was writing it from the perspective of a drunk old dude whose life's been ruined by booze, yeah. I mean, that that's not an admirable character. No. So, like, is the music... Are you going to want to listen to all of that music and be like, I'm so glad I get to hear this. No, it's, <laughs> but it's, it's like miserable. I guess it depends what you're listening for. Really. And also that dude is kind of a loser. So the music he's into is not super great. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you didn't like that record either, right? Yeah. What, why didn't you like it? It, it, it smacked uh, quite a lot of uh, country-ish. Yeah. And I'm not definitely... wildly fond of country music. And so mm -hmm. as it continued on, I was like, okay, I'm it two was... or three songs into this. And I just, I just don't really like this type of music yet. It was definitely a country influence mm -hmm. album. I mean, not every song, maybe, but um, quite a bit of it. Honky Tonk. Yeah. But Which is the goofiest it was, music. I imagine a bunch of guys in overalls up there on the banjo. and. It was a, a loving inclusion of country. Well, no, I mean, there could be like this ironic use of country, which sure. I don't think they were doing. And, you know, where you're like, you know, doing a little hee-hawing it up mm -hmm. and just trying to be like for humor's sake. But I don't think that's what they were doing. They actually, he... He loved country music. He's said in a number of places that he he just he feels like he's really attracted to American music and, hmm. and well, punk has its roots in country music. Yeah, a lot of it does. Yeah, Billy Holly or Buddy Holly, and it's there's a weird crossover that happens. Yes, yeah. Yeah. that is early, weird because a lot of the early stuff was more percussive. Right, rockabilly and stuff. It's oh, very, 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 especially, yeah. very kind of raw and 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 just lean. Yeah, you know, and, and and really up tempo. So, yeah, in a way that like the Grand Ole Opry and like the traditional mainstream country music was not. Right, that was a lot more like, yeah, you know, swaying back. Yeah, and yeah, it's whole different kinds of country. Yeah. And, so any country punk music. Hmm. Yeah, true. Well, do you? Uh, hmm. This is getting a little subject, obviously, but you do, are you familiar with X, the band X at all? That, is it the Japanese band? No. Oh. Ex Los Angeles band with John Doe and Exine Cervenka. Mm -hmm. They, uh, amazing band, by the way. And they were, like, their guitarist, Billy Zoom, was to look at him on stage. He looked like he was out of the 50s, like a rockabilly guy. But they were playing these, you know, fast punk songs. I mean, they're, it's really the only way you can describe them. But they're clearly infused with that kind of rockabilly, country kind of stuff that, that really filtered in there in a strong way. I think there were quite a few other bands like that too. It wasn't, you know. Like oh, and then there was Sex like, Pistols. You wouldn't notice no, it, but, uh, but and then there was like the offshoot called Psycho Billy. Right, remember right, that? right. That yeah. Hank Williams' son, grandson played Hank yeah. Free played Psycho Billy, just like insanely fast country hmm. music, mm -hmm. like disturbingly fast yeah, country yeah, music. Yeah, Psycho Billy. Psycho, Psycho Billy. Billy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, so for the early stuff, did you? appreciate those other hits too uh, yeah i mean you, yeah you i did i thought there were a lot of good ones i thought they were kind of repetitive the good like five or six of them is kind of the same song well, there's there's some of that I, I but would the agree. beatles had the same thing in their early yeah. repertoire yeah. too like yeah. you can you can you know draw parallels between like you know please please me and love love me do there's like five or six hits mm -hmm. there there when you listen to each one separately you're like this is such a great song 
but they also kind of row, sound like the same song. And yeah. I think there was a lot of yeah. their hits in the beginning that were like that too. Very similar beats, right. very similar rhythmic patterns. So when we were talking earlier about how a, a particular album goes together, does that tie into that conversation, the way that these songs sound very similar to each other? Is that something that you guys look at as... I think at that point, not so much. I think because they were more a singles band, I think, at that. For their first mm-hmm. two or three albums, I don't see those albums as being uh, really thought out as albums. Okay. You know, like All artistic right. statements or something. I think they're more like singles with some filler, some covers, some... B-sides, right? Because it, it's a business model. You make one yeah. song that's yeah. supposed to be a hit, and then it has a B-side, yeah. which isn't that great. Yeah. And everybody knows that. It's like their chance to be more artistic or whatever because right. it doesn't matter because people buy it for the A-side. Yeah. yeah. I think the... Uh, so there there were definitely like a lot of high points in that those first couple of years and then the albums were just what they were, you know, and then and then they really started getting a little more serious with the kink controversy with the K, which I know you have some opinions on, too. <laughs> what, uh, <laughs> what are you, like, a, a little shack by the side of well, the road that makes homemade fudge? We, we, should, we should mention Ugh. this for anybody who isn't as familiar with the kinks, that their first album was just called Kinks. Their second album was Kinda Kinks, and clearly that's two Ks. And then there's the kink controversy, controversy spelled with a K. Ugh, I think the only controversy that we need to address <laughs> is the fact that well, they had shit media people working for them and a shit marketing the, company. The record Who labels, did this? I think the record labels God. thought it was clever. Kind of kinks, kinks, Well, there's two Ks in their name, yeah, so, no, I, you know, they're I starting from... So now they have three? No, there's another one that isn't even part of this. In, in the U.S., they released, like, a repackaging of one of the British albums. These are the British original mm, releases, right. like the way the Beatles had. Right, right. It was the Kink Chronicles. Yeah, with the C. With, with two Ks. Chronicles. <laughs> there was uh, King, Kinksdom. Like Kingdom, which is really ridiculous. And I am well, so now sure... Well, they took it so far, now I feel... I feel like maybe it. it's okay if Well, they, if it's a system, I can respect it. If it's like a cutesy there, one, there are five. There are five albums, angry. if you include... Just Kinks, which I, you really can't, I guess. But seriously, Kinks, wait, what was the one with the, the Chronicles? Kinks Chronicles. <laughs> two See, this is like That's a Jump the Shark moment. Yeah, yeah. Kinkstum? Those were all within the first two or three years. And Do you think that, that Ray was okay with those album names? He probably hated Well, actually, I read a quote. He didn't even like the name The Kinks. Of he, course, because he's a miserable bastard. He is. He's just he's grumpy about everything. He's just gonna, a person whom I respect He's greatly. a grumpy old man. But I think he's a grumpy jerk, and I think that his music <laughs> reflects it, and I think that's why they fought in the band so much. <laughs> it's hard for me to get along with people. No, you're just a jerk. I think he's hard that's to work. That's what that means. Well, I think it's very, like, he would be impossible to write a song with. I mean, that, there's yeah. a reason they each, when Dave wrote his songs, it was just credited to Dave hmm. Davies, because he probably couldn't work with Dave Ray at all, I, mean, hmm. I would imagine. And here, well, this is an interesting point too. I think is Dave Davies' songwriting is actually really good. Yeah, it's totally I am, good. I am, you know, the more I listened to specifically which ones he had written. I mean, and he usually sings them. Mm-hmm. He has got some great songs. Like on something else, his songs are fantastic on that. Well, let's uh, let's hear it. Yeah, I think let's, I hear, let's hear Dave Davies. Did you voice. did you make note of uh, which which songs? I, I didn't. I, or you could well, tell us. I was paying attention. I could tell the difference in voice, their voices. Yeah. He has the raspier yeah. kind of. Death of a Clown is a great song, I think. It is a beautiful song. It is, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. To, to, I think he comes. A drop in. He often comes off as like the kind of. Uh, the, the less refined of the two. 
But I think he has some sensibilities that are equal to Ray's. And... There's a bit of country influence in this song too, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, There's a twang the, to the it. Twang to it, yeah. And singing kind of helps that too. Right? Yeah, I know where you get this ethereal backing. Yeah. Oh, also, this one rhythmically sounds just like Love, Love Me Do. It does. It's it has the same beat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's very yeah. close. Yeah. I think that might be coincidental. Yeah. Coincidental with the K. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Um, <laughs> even more than this one, my, my favorite song with him on this is... Um, I'm not saying they copied the Beatles. Yeah. I'm just saying Well, it's... actually, I did want to clarify that. <laughs> I'm K. not saying that, but, but like, this song could be a Beatles song so easily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, could be a Beatles song is very different than an intentional... But I don't feel that way when I listen to the Rolling Stones. I don't feel that way when I listen to the Who. I don't feel that way when I listen to the Animals. I don't know about the Yardbirds. But, like, bands of the same era that are the British Invasion... Yeah. Well, I think I, I talked to you a little bit about this, or my, my briefly. Uh, they, I think some of that, or a lot of that, comes from... I think where they sound most like the Beatles is between Paul's songs and the Beatles. I don't think they sound so much like Lennon's songs. I think this, they have the spirit of Lennon, though. This is basically to be, this band, is what would have happened if John okay. had made his own band. Okay, mm-hmm. that's, that's fair, mm-hmm. yeah, that's but fair. Just, but just vibe and song but, theme, but musically, not necessarily style. Uh, the melodicism that Ray has is his ability to write a great melody is similar to McCartney's. McCartney yeah. was the more melodic of yeah. the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think where they are similar is that they both had this big influence of what's called the British Music Hall sound, which is kind of like, kind of vaudeville, sort of. They, they the, the British had this tradition of like a, a performance uh, I, I I, I don't know that much about my understanding like, though. They were like concerts, but it was like a town would have a dance hall or two in it, and there would be a band that would play regularly at that hall, and then people in town would go dance there. And yeah. and it was a job, like bigger towns had tons of them. Elvis mm-hmm. Costello's dad was a fairly well-known right, in right. his area yeah. dance hall yeah. singer. That was his yeah. professional career. But like he didn't make records. And, and I think he that this... He just like live on stage his whole life as his job. And anyway, that there's a style of music that came in those settings. Yeah, and, and I think it was kind of a kind of a jaunty kind of yeah, uh, it is jaunty. You know, music with uh, very well, was it like dancing or was yeah, it and people would dance. And, yeah, think yeah. of the Beatles when I'm a, when I'm 64. Mm-hmm. You know that song? Yeah, yeah. That is yes. very influenced by that kind of scene, mm-hmm. and, and that, that typifies the type of music yeah, that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. And and for the Kings, and I think Ray dance to it. Ray defaulted to that style of. Or he was influenced, I think, even more by that kind of thing than McCartney was. But I think because he has a lot of songs that fit that kind of a inspiration anyway, that that it ends up, because we're so familiar with When I'm 64 or some other Beatles songs that kind of followed, like Maxwell Silverhammer is another one. Mm. You know, there there's a lot of that. And I think as a result, there seems to be a lot of... Uh, similarities. So, but I think that's it's point a, one. It's, it's a mutual inspiration point, but not necessarily like Ray copying. Uh, I don't think anybody's copying oh, yeah, anybody. Yeah, yeah. I really don't. Yeah. I just, I, what am I? What am I trying to say? I guess I'm just saying that like it sounds the same. They're doing the same thing, but the Beatles are doing it better. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. 
and I don't necessarily feel comfortable with that statement when I once I made it. Right. I, I don't either, but I, I think better is, you know, that's... that's Cause, the, okay, so there's the style the, of music, yeah. the dance hall style, which is legit, the melodic stuff about right. Paul McCartney, that connection right. with you. Yes, yeah. agreed. Yeah. That's not anybody copying anybody. It's just people coming from the same roots culturally. Right. Yeah. Their voices... Their harmonies. There are songs that I listened to in this process that I immediately stopped and went and found the Matching Beatles song that had the same exact mm-hmm. kind of style of singing. I did. I did. I'd be very um, I'm going to have to dig for them. Okay. Don't ask me for proof. Like, the point is I found no, the information. I, I, I'm just curious. I'm and not that proof that, so that's the part that also... So there's two strong things to me that, like, how is it possible that these two bands that weren't copying each other... Like what's going on here? That there's so much similar. Or maybe there's a common song that they were both influenced by that were that aren't on these on these lists. Well, there's there's that, and except that for goes, the Beatles did it say, first. Well, uh, you can't you can't have been living in England and well, I mean everybody heard Beatles songs at that time. You couldn't have heard a Beatles song and not have it somehow seep into your consciousness in a mm-hmm. way as a, and as a songwriter. It's going if you like that music mm-hmm. at all, especially. Uh, it's going to affect you. It's going to well, be hard it's, not if to be it's influenced. Being by played it. everywhere, and it, because it's good, which it right. was, and you're someone who cares about music, and yes. you hear it and you think, "Man, this is amazing." Yeah. How do you not have it influence what you're writing? Right. And I, I would say that's probably less true in their early years, and I, I think partly because, frankly, Ray Davies probably didn't like the early Beatles stuff very no. much. Uh, I think probably not. Maybe not. Maybe yeah. not. Maybe he did. I don't think he he wasn't the kind of guy who would love like let me hold you. Know, I want to hold your hand. I don't know, man. Those songs were pretty raucous for the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. I mean, it, it was it was unlike anything else. When Just because it, it looks corny to us looking right. back in no, their cute that's suits. Those true. dudes that's, came out of that cellar in Berlin. That's like, absolutely true. They were badasses. Oh, they were so tight. They were just, yeah. They were amazing. They were badasses. Yeah. So we, it's easy to look back beautiful. and be like, oh, Ray Davies wouldn't have been into them. No, I think. It would have been hard for him but not I, to be, have his mind been blown by what, okay. their music. Fair enough, fair enough. But I and I, I don't think he necessarily would have thought it was corny. It wasn't so much my point, but like just mm-hmm. the, I think he was more impressed probably just by him, like by like what they did starting with like Help or Rubber Soul. Yeah, but then he wrote getting... this review where he said Revolver, yeah. which is like. I, I think it's yeah. their best record. Many yeah. people yeah. call it their I, best I record. Yeah. And My he's favorite. like, eh, it's derivative, it's this He wrote that. that at the time, so he didn't have the high, the, the, the ability, he wasn't looking at it in, in hindsight at all. I don't think that makes a difference. I think it does. I don't think so. I, I think, also he was approached by this newspaper to like say, what do you what do you think about this album? Write, write up your thoughts about this album. And mm-hmm. of course he's going to try to be a little confrontational. Why? Because it's going to get him more attention to do that than... Mm-hmm. Um, that's true. The music scene back then was very like, there was a lot of like, yeah, and he people probably were like, oh, they're great. Like now, people are more apt to be like, that band's pretty great. Like, and that, well, maybe not. Honestly, I think people were probably drawing a comparison to the Beatles anyway, and he was probably one to distance himself from that to some extent anyway. Yeah, hmm. I mean, I, Power Man, and I want to tell you, Harmony Link Up. Huh, interesting. Well, I love the harmony on Power Man. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, well, again, I'm not saying that they're yeah. bad songs. I'm just no, no, saying no, I, the I, I harmonies, the way that they're, they're singing together. That's another thing. that David and Ray's voices, I think, go together so well sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a natural fit, too. It's not like they have to try that hard. Dave's got that little higher-pitched thing that works really well with Dave's more, uh, Ray's more middle, middle town thing. The Beatles certainly set a standard for harmonies. I mean, they were... They were. That was one of the things they did best, you know. So. Unless you're Quincy Jones, <laughs> and then you think that they did not. Is that his opinion? <clears throat> their harmonies. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't agree with Quincy at all. Well, uh, you're allowed to disagree with Quincy Jones. I personally don't feel comfortable doing that. <laughs> <laughs> not, in, not in a public recording, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. So I, I just think there's a lot of coincidental with a similarities. Mm-hmm. Yes, with a <laughs> don't they have a record called The King's Coincidence? <laughs> they should. They should have. Oh, no, it would have been just called Coincidental Kinks. It would be Coinky Dinks. Then let's talk about the differences of when they... Since we're talking about the Beatles and the Kinks, okay. we're getting into that. Sure. The thing that is really a standout thing to me is that the Kinks, Village Green Preservation Society, and the White Album came out the same year. Mm-hmm. Before you go any further, mm-hmm. I want to bring up one point that I thought of earlier that I... The one thing I really, really wish is that the Kinks had somebody like George Martin and Jeff Emmerich, who's yeah. the Beatles yeah. recording engineer throughout most of their stuff. I wish they had some people like them yeah. working on their records because their records sound crappy compared yeah. to the Beatles stuff. Like, hmm. yeah, it's if, true. If they the take, production if, of them, yeah, yeah. The production, which makes they, a huge difference. Village Green Preservation Society, re- regardless of what you think of the songs, sounds tinny. Yeah, and and like really just compressed or not compressed but just it, it doesn't have very full sound to well, it well just like Muswell Hillbilly yeah which they recorded on purpose with 10 year old microphones to be like atmospheric oh, and, and, to the and, to the bit yeah. but then it sounds not great and I think you're right I think they suffered from having someone in the studio because they, they the Beatles and the Kings did the same thing they went from like singles big hits loud to like going into the studio and doing more quiet things mm. but that's where the Beatles had George the Martin had... and shit went off the chain hmm. exactly if you had somebody like that doing the stuff with the kinks that they were doing that, and it that... wouldn't have to be the same style at all no, no. but because it would have been an extra member of the band essentially but there was that bigness to the, the Beatles sound the, the full and it's like it's separation between it instruments the way everybody and, recorded rock yeah, albums right right and, and a lot of that they were doing on four tracks until like Sgt. Pepper was recorded on a four track recorder and they just kept bouncing tracks back and forth. That's amazing. It's hmm. and well, can, can you play a song off here that represents the uh, kind of tinny sound you're yeah, talking about? Yeah, sure. Well, I think the first song, Village Green Preservation Society, is, is fairly tinny. And Sarah doesn't like this song. She's shaking her head. It's in the movie Hot Fuzz. I don't know that movie. Village Green Preservation Society. Is that a West Anderson? So you don't like the song because the drums are pretty badass. You think it's corny. I think it's corny. But I think it's it's honest. I don't think you. I think you originally told me you thought it was ironic. I think it is ironic. I don't think it is. These guys. Where did they live? What did did Ray live on like a? Like an estate somewhere. He lived in Muswell Hill. He lived. He he said he had a good childhood, but they didn't come from wealth. Right. Um, so they lived in a working class neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. He, and then he, he was a musician parents. that made money. Yeah. So he eventually. wrote this record when he was a musician right. living in London, right. partying in Soho, writing about like the romantic traditional he, life in a small rural no, town in no. England. Well, it, Maybe that you is super. <laughs> maybe you missed super this point. Super out of touch. That's like John Steinbeck watching maybe writing. Maybe you missed um, this point, but what? he is so anti-class system. Like so much of his songs, so many of his songs are about class. No, I, I and got British that. and in England, that's a whole different thing than it is. No, here in America. I know, but I don't. I just don't. I think it's disingenuous for a person in his position, of his background, of his experience. 
to write about the setting he's writing about, I don't buy the loving, respectful attitude towards it. I do not. This is a man that wrote, like, dirty, greedy songs about, like, living in a city. And somehow he got to a, an emotional place in his life where he, like, appreciates some tiny shit town with, like, beautiful hedgerows. I don't fucking buy it. Jeez. I... I... It was Disagree. used. I think. I think John Lennon wrote some of the angriest yes. stuff with the Beatles. Yeah. And later, of course, but and he was the same guy who wrote Imagine. I mean, come on. He's he's living in this utopia. He wants. He's picturing this. Yeah, but utopia. Imagine is different than Imagine. Doesn't evoke an actual setting, an actual sure. physical no, setting that people every day actually live in and don't have very large incomes and don't have great schools and don't have a necessarily great lifestyle and for him to sit from his perspective and and sit at a piano in a recording studio and and with the food and the experiences and the traveling he's done in his life and then write about that as if it's like an adorable toy box that he wants to keep perfect so he can look at it when he likes it he didn't live out there I think, I and think if he did, he would have been driving by I in a really nice car. I, I think you're putting him in a corner. I, I think you're assuming much more about his his knowledge or experiences than you actually know. Okay. And I I think that he uh, he could have had a lot of childhood experiences where he was out in the country. Maybe his parents went there every year for the summer or something. And, and the same and, man that wrote Lola. And and all the other shit that he wrote could still, from an adult perspective, look back on his childhood with his parents in like perfect green fields and and write. He said he had, very, about he had that? a very good childhood. He had a happy childhood. I just don't buy it. So so you, your position is that it was ironic. Yeah. And then so he's he's mocking. Or, or at the very least, What's like has that? no real understanding of what he's singing about. Like he's trying to write, he's singing about it in a way as if he gets it and he values it, mm-hmm. but he doesn't understand it because he has no real relation to it. That's what I'm saying. He he may have grown up in and around the city, but I think he had a pretty deep understanding of the British way of life, and I don't think it was limited to just city life. I think he no, but the it's not like England was like city and then perfect little towns. Like England was like city and then a lot of like industrial middle working class sure. like lower working class areas yeah. and like tiny pockets and I'm of sure he saw that perfect. Uh, and, and even if he wasn't I mean I think he had some working class experiences I mean I, I don't think it was uh, he was he was not didn't live in a bank I think he had that. no I think he had a lot more understanding of working class experiences yeah. and, I, and that's why I just I still I just can't buy it I don't I have such a hard time imagining this person that wrote all of the other songs that he did and speaks of his life well, the way he does, like having a genuine moment for this, like romantic, sweet, perfect little way of living. But, but can't you tell those in people the, in, in the that song, village? That village that... would have kicked that his ass out the second he came walking in. <laughs> Are you kidding me with his hair? They would have taken one look at him, and nobody would have been polite to him. Nobody would have welcomed him. Fine, okay. That's so how can he? Sure. How can he? Like. You think he was that disconnected from reality that he was like okay with that? Like, oh, the sheep. Everyone should have sheep. No. I, I think I sheep th- smell. So was that your reaction to it the first time you? Yeah. Listened to it? I think. I think. When, I think. I think you're you romanticizing hear. yourself that village life because it's so British and quaint. I think you can hear in his singing the genuine affection he has for that way of life, 
And whether he lived it or not, I think he appreciates well, it. Well, it's and, not whether he, he lived it. It's just that I don't think he really understands he it. Ha- okay, He's like, painting like a picture well, of a thing it, that doesn't exist. Look at it from this perspective. He, In so many of his songs, he's like, uh, you know, putting down like dedicated follower fashion. He's like, he's rich, dandy, you know, people who are like very fashion conscious <laughs> and stuff. And or the wealthy, powerful who don't give the lower classes a chance, mm. you know. And, Maybe he was writing this more from a perspective of seeing like places like that being industrialized or commercial development brought in, and he was looking at it from more like that perspective of mm-hmm. like here comes the big power power people to uh, destroy this way of life. And is, he, is there any uh, the, he, the lyrics in there that support what you're saying right there? I don't think these. If you mean in these albums, no. Well, are, I mean, from, from what you recall from listening to the song, is there anything that stands out that? Well, in that this song, he... supports what he, you're saying, because you have a position on this. Right. Thing, so. I mean, there is the song Village Green. There are two songs on the album that are similar, similarly titled. There's Village Green, and then there's the lead track, which we were just listening to, about mm-hmm. the Village Green Preservation Society. Mm-hmm. I think the Village Green actually talks more about um, the, the... just In the Village Green Preservation Society, he kind of rambles off a list of... Uh, Things that are maybe associated with living like this. But here he talks more about the actual living. Mm. He's taking the piss. Calls them simple people. That's not romantic. That's fucking insulting. He's shit talking these people. If that's your only, if that's your only example. I mean, you really believe Ray Davies? I miss the Village Green and the simple people and the clock and the steeple of the church. This dude is not interested Simplicity in the place of the church. Simplicity could also be like. Just a simple way of life. It's not, it doesn't mean simple as in like stupid. I, well, we were also talking earlier about what a jerk he was. Also, I mean, but he, he was a jerk in interpersonal uh-huh. relationships. Oh, you don't, I don't you think, don't think he in was, his songwriting he was a jerk? This is oh, a good he could thing be, to talk about. No, well, he, he could he be. He was a jerk very, in his songwriting. Oh, he had a very acidic tongue, or so to speak, but when, yeah. when in many of his songs. But usually, it was like at people who really deserved. Okay, you're rolling your eyes. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to insult you. Um, um, That was very rude of me to roll my eyes at you. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) I I thought you were rolling your eyes at him more than me. No, 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 no. no. Uh, (laughs) It was actually me. (laughs) It was really particular to a thing that you said. Um, It was about people deserving it. Yeah, that was the part. I was with you up until you said that, and then I feel like you're imposing morality on the situation, which is like what I really meant was his view of who deserved it. I think a lot of what he has to gripe about to he's he's angry at is valid points. You know okay, I mean? so he's angry record co- record producers and record companies, right? Sure, that's Lola that, Empowerment. That's that, a whole that record. Comes a whole, yeah. Totally makes sense. These are people yeah. screwing him out of money. Direct correlation that's to his him. own yes, life. It's yeah. very, very um and then he's like he there's a bunch of like weird songs about men that are kind of like about um like our dynamics. No, um, homosexuality. Oh. Where he, like, in some parts of the songs, he sounds like he's being completely okay with everything, and then other parts he completely makes fun of the people he's mm. singing about. Like, aggressively, like that Dandy Andy song, and that David Watts song, and David Lola's Watt. like that. David Watts has nothing to do with homosexuality. 
That's about uh, no, it's, it's about a, a boy at school, right? He's a, no, he's like the popular guy. Who's, yeah, what do you think that's about? What boy writes and sings a song about another boy in the way that like he's so great? Like there's very there's a lot of veiled no, stuff he, in there about that. He hates David Watts. Yeah, but he like. And, why does he hate him? I so wish I could be like David Watts. It's like this so tongue in cheek. Like talk about like ironic. That song mm. is like. Well, that's what I'm saying. Okay, and that so, song was covered fantastically by the Jam. Have you ever heard the Jam no. do that? And 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 they completely back up that whole viewpoint. I think I mean, by their interpretation of it. But well, but I think whatever. What I was just he, trying to say is like his, if you're not going to study the song and listen to it six times, you could listen to David Watts and you can listen to Dandy Andy and you could listen to Lola. And there are parts of the song where you can tune in and be like, oh. La 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 la. She sounds cool, and then you don't listen to any other lyrics, he, yeah. and then you listen again, and you're like, "Wait, dark brown voice. What's uh-huh. going on here?" And then you back out again, and then you hugged me too hard. Like I've listened to that song a bunch of times, yeah. and I'm still not a hundred percent sure. Interesting. Whose side he's on? He is completely. Is he shit talking this transvestite? No, no. Is he cool with this he, transvestite? He is. He is completely cool with that transvestite. Is he? He is. And I read a very specific article about this subject because I was curious because he mentions in a couple other songs. Hmm. There's references to homosexuality or implied, you know, and um, it was written by a in a in a I don't remember what the magazine was called some online magazine. It was gay culture mm-hmm. kind of stuff, and the writer, who himself was gay, was supporting. He said he loved and, and apparently, he, the way he expressed it, it's common feeling that Ray Davies is on their side and that hmm. he's writing from a very very sympathetic hmm. point of view. And they he completely saw Lola as being like Ray's just out there like it was a groundbreaking song he said because it was just putting it out there and not making any judgment on it it was just here's mm, this that's true here's this intense feeling between two people and he's even saying it's himself and he was saying he's he's, he's okay with that he was just mm. he, that's part of the appeal of that song yeah me, is that well, he, he, there is no judgment it's like this is something that happened it's a yeah, story yeah mm. I, and I think I think if we can just jump to that song a little more right now yeah, the, the my personal feeling about that song is that it's one of the best written in, encapsulates it tells you so much in that song without saying that many words I mean it's like one of the most concise like alluding to something or yeah it, it gets its point across it's so well written I think that it you know the whole story without really him having to tell you that many details and he just lands on enough information to give you the whole thing and then and then I think it's one of those brilliant final sets of lines in a song I'm not the world's most passionate guy, but I know I am, and I'm glad I'm a man, and so is Lola. Mm-hmm. And that can be interpreted so many ways. That, At least I mean, a couple, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and based on the rest of the song, it's the, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad I'm a man, and so Lola is too. But there's also the interpretation, or I'm glad I'm a man, and so is Lola, glad that he is a man. Right, 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 yeah. Right. So, uh, I mean, I think it's just such a clever turn of phrase. Well... I think what this is bringing up for me, though, is the reality that I think, like, the genius of his songwriting is touching the story in that perfect amount of detail. That you can right, get the whole yeah, story yeah. with minimal stuff, but we could argue about what it means for hours because yeah. it's just that perfect level of there's not quite enough detail to fill in all the blanks. So we could just sit and listen to it and be like, no, listen, the way he's saying that, it means uh-huh, this. Uh-huh. But it could mean six things because... He's doing it so succinctly. Yeah. Well, and I think that's where he's his he's often referred to as a, a genius, you know, like other songwriters and went novelist, playwright, <laughs> and now genius. We've reached the if pantheon. He, he, can he, he go he, higher? Can you could, go higher, Dave? No. You could say rock god. That's legit. 
that's a, that's okay, another that came, that came later. That was the seventies. That was when. I'm just saying that I think he's one of the most brilliant songwriters, and I think it's for reasons similar to what you're saying is that he the kinds of stories he wrote in the the space of a song, and usually like a pretty short song. Oh, I know. Three minutes. It's one of my favorite things about this band. They they rarely and go that, over four minutes. I mean, and that, I don't even mean, that's. I mean that in the most positive yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. Like why why it's take five minutes? To I mean make to a be song. able to do just, it. Yeah. It, it's just it's. Like, Tight. Yeah, I mean, and that's it's much harder than it seems. Yeah. I mean, to be able to say what all of what he says in that kind of a space takes, uh, I don't know, I just, it, he's an incredible writer. Well, I, that's I, just I, one of your favorite uh, characteristics of yes. his songwriting. Yes. We, we were talking about Lola and how they do that, so he does it so well. Uh-huh. Are, are there other songs that stand out for you? Like that Lola, have, that, like, double that, meanings that he to tell, them? Well, that he tells, oh, tells such, a such a great story in a short amount of time. And, um, I mean, and it resonates with you. I think mostly I was thinking about um, Village, Village Green or something like that. I was thinking about out. vibes, less stories. I tell you, my favorite song though, out of all the ones we listened to, "Strangers," mm. the Which second Dave, song, song on Lola versus Power Man. But can we? Can we hear? And that's yeah. a Dave song. Yeah, and one of the songs that appears in um, the Darjeeling. Is it? Limited. I don't think it is. Yeah, I don't think so. I didn't come up on any of the lists when I looked up. Like I'm what? Pretty, I'm pretty sure. It, it was Strangers and um, A Long Way From Home and Power Man. Hmm. Wow. Those are good choices. Yeah. Whew. Right? Well, it is that's Wes Anderson. A, He's really that's a good hell at picking of a music. trio of songs. Yeah. Power Man, yeah. Strangers, uh, yeah. and... And Long Way From Home. Do you recognize which ones I, I don't recognize them by the uh, name okay. of the song. Well, here's course. Strangers, the, the yeah. one that Sarah's yeah. talking about. One of Dave's best songs, too. I yeah. definitely... And if they had this kind of recording quality and their other albums, yeah, that would have been amazing. I just, I really wish. best lines I've ever heard in a song. Yeah, that is nice. It's so tucked, so perfectly tucked together. Like, the first time I heard that song, I felt like I had already sang it out loud in my car, like a hundred times <laughs> in my life. And then you did. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it, it's, uh, and then, oh, and it has that tail on the end with just the drums. Yeah. Which is another thing, to have such a short song and still tack and on still that precious, to... that precious thing that just, yeah. like just ends it so perfectly and makes it from being too sweet. I think I think he learned a lot from Ray. I mean, I think Ray was the songwriter first, and I think Dave probably learned some, a lot of what he knew from mm-hmm. Ray's stuff. Because he's, he's said that he just loves Ray's side. <laughs> and he has to, because he stuck with Ray throughout the entire <laughs> yeah. career. And Even some of that is crap. Some of the 70s stuff is so bad. We won't <laughs> get into that right now. But, um, but so I think, I think he... He, he learned a really good craft and you know, that whole his singing on this too I just love I, I very like emotive, singing it's also. so emotional it's so plaintive it's so yeah. it's like right. ripped yeah, from word. his heart as he's yeah. doing it I know it. I, I, beautiful I love it um, 
But one thing I discovered about listening. Drums are so killer too. Sorry. One thing I discovered about when I was listening to him again today is I realized there are times when I'm in the perfect mood to be listening to the Kinks. Yeah. And today was one of them, and it was really wonderful. You know, I was working on something here, and and it was going in the background. I was making notes and. And I was like, this is exactly what I need to be listening to right now. This is perfect. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. It was a good feeling. Yeah, I mean, I, I, know, I know what you mean. Like, some, some, like this album, for me, like, sometimes, it's, I, I always love it. And it's just, but sometimes it just hits me, like, really hard. It's so, it's, it's so good. I think from the first two songs, I knew I was gonna, this was going to be my favorite record mm-hmm. of the bunch mm-hmm. that we listened to. Yeah, because The Contenders is great, too. And I could just also tell, I could... You know, following them chronologically with a K. <laughs> <laughs> they should have been the King chronology. This that would have been episode a episode just brought to you uh, by letter K. K. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I think for me, this record just falls so perfectly within their arc. Mm-hmm. Because what's next, the Village Preservation Society, which for me was a hard stop, so. Mm. Right, right. Yeah, and I... Um, it's interesting because I, I, I feel like this album is a, let me pause this for a second I think this album is sort of a a, a change it's, it's, it's a progression from Arthur but I think it's also the, the power rock that's on it is, a, is more of a suddenly turn like a 90 degree turn towards something else and 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 suddenly they were on this road, which eventually led them to this arena rock stardom that they experienced later in the '70s. The songwriting, I think, went downhill at that point. But this was like the the perfect meshing of those two sensibilities, kind of just the the great songwriting, succinct mm. songwriting, and, and still the power, some more power chords, mm-hmm. and stuff. Which is why, like, yeah. for me, that's my sweet spot. Yeah. And yeah. later, I feel like the Village Green Preservation Society is more about like, oh, now we're songwriting. Like in the sky, like, <laughs> dramatic, like um, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, cool, they're great. They're great songs. I just, it's not something I'm ever in the mood to listen to. Mm. Uh, so actually, let's personal. go back to that for a moment. We'll, we'll return to Lola also because I want to talk a little more about the the song arc on that. On the Village Grand Preservation Society, my favorite song. Actually, I have two favorite songs. Uh, Picture book, which if you don't like this song. Yes, please finish that sentence. I'm not going to finish that sentence. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> this is probably the best known song off this album. Uh, there's one song that the average person might have heard. It's this one. Yeah. On this album, yes. You name one other one. Right. <laughs> this is actually played on the radio sometimes. Nothing else. Not for anything. Um, the Green Day stole this song for, yeah. for their song um, <laughs> Warning uh, would you like me to yeah okay what do you mean stole oh they stole uh, is there some Green kind of legal Day. some kind of litigious yeah, situation probably could have shoring this up or is this Dave's okay. oh yeah oh look they changed it a little bit yeah they changed it the singing isn't the same. It, 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 it could be the same song. Yeah. yeah. But it's not. The, uh... Oh, me. He seems like his head's made out of a balloon. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> While we're on, uh, it's a quick, quick detour but into another. Do you topic. think that they could have they could have won that case, like uh, Marvin Gaye's estate won that it, case against um, Robin? What's it, his name? Yeah, Robin Thick. Robin Thick. Yeah, uh, it's hard. I, I don't know. Maybe not. I, I think it was clearly a huge influence in how that riff was decided on in yeah. that song. Uh, the rest of the song, I don't know. Going back to my favorite song on here, besides uh, Picture Book. I have this terrible feeling that one day I'm going to look back on my moment of trashing this record and hate myself for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, you know. I don't care. Big Sky. Did you notice? Did, did Big Sky stand out for you at all? Okay, I'm just going to play the song. You're entitled to evolve. <laughs> <laughs> just like they are. Exactly. But did they? Oh, there we go. has the greatest one-note solo in any song. It's fine. That's a crazy oh, claim with Neil Young in the world. That's oh. an insane claim. He, he, this came before him. Influence right there. I'm not saying that. Listen. I love this song. And this is him again railing against like these powerful people who don't know who they're affecting by their decisions. I think it's just powerful music in this one too. I do love very heavy kind of So how did you feel about something else by the Kings? Were you? I liked that record. Yeah. 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 Me too. I thought I think it's probably my second favorite because Lola vs. Paramount is my I think my is my favorite. Mm. And something else is the best of their '60s uh, albums because like Lola's seven, 1970. So I was really digging it. it. It it's it's almost an instrumental, but the situation the yeah, situation mm. I, yeah. I really dug that. That yeah. sounds crazy. Okay, that made a playlist for me. Swing in sixties, like, but it's like perfect. Yeah, no, perfectly done. Yeah. So, I think yeah. It's, oh, and Harry Rag is so good. Oh yeah. Can you please like play a little bit of that song? I wasn't sure how you feel about that. Weird actually. song, but it's brilliant. Oh, yeah. I love it so much. Because the. It's very dance holly. It's a little yeah. cheesy in that way, especially with that rolling drum. Beat. Russian kind of Russian. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Hey. Okay. Yeah, a little bit. It's not Russian, but something. Oh, that was like a kind of. Oh, maybe yeah, maybe you know. It's crazy. Also, it's such a weird 
phrase, hairy rag. I looked it up, I mean, just to confirm yeah, whether yeah. it was it's marijuana cigarette. or cigarette. It's and cigarette. It, it's just cigarette, rolled, say, hand rolled cigarettes. Also named for a jockey. Yes, yeah. Yes, hairy rag. Um, I, I love David Watts, I think it's a great song. Yeah, um, it's a great song. Um, no Return. Oh, No Return. This is a very interesting song because it's. It's covered on this on this um, tribute album by Babel Gilberto, who's the daughter of Astrid Gilberto, who sang uh, "Girl from Ipanema." Mm. So it's got that bossa nova thing Definitely going on, and she one. she covers it so well hmm. because of that. And I think it's such an interesting song. Like, I don't hmm. think it's any like anything else that this definitely you can't no, say. It's, it's like it's like, not a it's like Meta Girl. Well. It's, like, it's a lot like that song. Met a girl found love. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah. A, it's close to that song, in the softness of the percussion, mm-hmm. and even the rhythm is similar to that. Right. The vocals are different. Yeah. But it's very like yeah, it's, it's sung completely differently than he usually does. Just like a weird the brush song. on the drums. On mm-hmm. Yeah. But the whole the whole song is just has a whole different vibe to it, and then but then it leads into Harry Rag kind of nicely. Mm-hmm, which is know. totally also Two Sisters is a crazy song. Um, yeah. more, more for me, interesting the story and the lyrics, yeah. like than musically as much. But yeah, that, that, I... that's got harpsichord though. I thought you didn't like harpsichord. I don't a lot of that. Yeah, I'm never really fond of that. I know you've said that too. You both said that to me. It's, it's tough. It's separate. It's crazy because I love piano. I love. I mean, not that they're the same thing. As a kid, I always loved the sound of a harpsichord mm-hmm. for some yeah. reason. Like in Bach, uh, I think it was Bach that um, there's some there's some of his songs and melodies. Yeah. I, you know how some people like hate cilantro. <laughs> I, I, harpsichord your... is my music. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Like, I, I'm gonna write that down. That's that's a good, that's a good harpsichord yeah. is my musical cilantro. Yeah. That's, that's great. No, that, that's because <laughs> isn't it the is the Doors? Do they have a harpsichord? Yes, they harpsichord. harpsichord oh, right. I hate the Doors so much. Oh, do you cool. hate them? Oh. You hate them like just period. Pretty, Pretty much. much. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about the Doors. I I love some of their stuff, but as a group, I don't care for them. Like I, I'm not a Jim Morrison fan. Stand Riders on the Storm. Ooh, that's I can't. That's one of the ones that doesn't work so well for me. Yeah. Like their earlier stuff, which I can't is just slow. Stand the harpsichord in it. Ray Manzarek and his weird ass hair. <laughs> oh, I hate it so much. It makes me crazy. Um, afternoon tea, I love. I do like that. Mm-hmm. This is such a great, another one of his like effortless melodies. I think he's so good at writing these and he makes it seem easy, but it is not easy to write a melody this good. And like, I McCartney that... could do it, but very few other songwriters. And this is like the better version of Have a Cup of Tea in Lola versus in, in, on Muswell Hill in Billies. Muswell Hill Billies. Have a Cup of Tea, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of a just cute ditty. Yeah. Whereas but this it, is a fully all I could think about. Song. No, I know. Yeah. All I could think about when I heard Have a Cup oh. of Tea was how perfect this song is. Right, right. And I love how it kicks into this part mm-hmm. here. Yeah, I like that also. And the, the harmonies. Like Dave, Dave just sounds great sometimes. I just love his... His voice works really well on certain songs for lead vocals, but he's such, his his harmony vocals on Ray's songs are just sometimes perfect, too. So. I love how loosely they sing, though. It just sounds so... Relaxed, yes, and so natural. That's and so, interesting. Like, point. I, I haven't really thought of it that back. way, but you're right. I think on all of their stuff it just kind of swings in a mm-hmm. way. You know, it just, it's that... just so like so natural. Yeah, yeah. like I said, yeah. Yeah. this song sticks in my head. 
walked around the house. Da, da, yeah, da, it's, da, it's an easy one yeah. to get caught up there. <laughs> um, and Funny Face is another Dave song, which I think is fantastic. This song is crazy. How many melodic sections switch in the short amount of time yeah. the song exists? Yeah. His, his singing, this is great too. Yeah, we're here. It's like two, right? A little piano roll going on there. Yeah. Okay, now we're back to one again. Yeah, he's got, yeah, right, he has like three or four different parts in this thing. And they switch so quickly from, like, yeah. like well, doesn't linger I... on any one part very no. long. No, but it's not a quick switch, it's like jarring a little bit. A little bit, yeah. I mean, it works, no, it like, works. smooth transition. No, the beat, like... Then there's this. This is three, right? And this sounds so much like somebody else like in the 80s that I... And there's a whole other one. This yeah. is five now. Four. Four. But somehow it all works. It does. I, don't know. He, I think what, if, if there's one thing I took away from this listening, yeah, considering... Again. considering my the, favorite. I think one's my favorite. The initial part. I love the sound of that guitar, the, the tone of that. He's an underrated guitarist. He is, and, and he deserves a lot of credit for, you know... The whole rock. I mean, you know, I re- you really got me. Really started something that, and I don't think he gets enough credit for being the guitarist who did that. Hmm. I'm still my mind is still blown by him smashing or slashing that. Yeah, yeah that's with great. The guitar with a razor. Yeah, and he was just pissed off about something, and he like he just wasn't working out like the sound wasn't or something. Oh well, we didn't play Water to the Sunset, but Aww. should we should we play a little bit of that just? Course. Every time. No one's gonna ever say no to that song. <laughs> right. Ever. And I think about it, and like I wonder, you know, it's it's a compared to a Beatles song, it doesn't sound like any Beatles song. So I don't think of it as that in that context. But it's something that Paul McCartney I think would have been proud to write. Mm-hmm. But somehow it stands stands out as a song that Paul McCartney would not have written. I don't know about that. That's wildly subjective. And wildly speculative, I think. Yes. Maybe even more to the point. (laughs) But but given my unfamiliarity with the Kinks, I attributed this to the Beatles. Yeah, that's right. You said you didn't know that it was a Kinks song. See, that's what I said. That's a compliment, I'm sure, to Ray Davies, because... Yeah, I don't think he'd think it that way. I I think he respects... (laughs) I think he wouldn't want to admit it, but I think he he respects... (laughs) His voice in there is like. I think, yeah. I mean, his his voice, it's it's not a conventionally like good voice, but it's it really works. It just, it, I don't know, it, it works for his songs perfectly. I, There's certain vulnerability about his vocals that yeah. I think, especially word, yeah. for this song, works so well. You know, and some other songs like it. But. Plus, it sounds exactly like the time of day he's describing. Yeah. Mm. It's like a perfect sunset song. Yeah, yeah. Languid, you know? Mm-hmm. Still bright, but like getting a little cold. And the music reflects that as well. It's yeah. Just, uh, 
and the transition to this harder rocking part sort of is just so smooth and just, it's not jarring at all, I don't think, but it's just... His voice ties it together. Yeah. It gets a little... Yeah. It should be silly, those vocals, but they're just... But they're not, yeah. yeah. Well, because it drops it back off afterwards. Right. So it makes it... He's like the perfect editor. He always knows where to cut. Yes. Mm. And I think that's, that's a large part of what I was saying before, too, that is like succinctness and just being able to know how to do it all in such a short span. And that's both lyrically it's and musically. It's done. And then it's just and done. And it's more precious for the fact that it's shorter and more mm -hmm. succinct. Yeah, it doesn't overstay its welcome. Mm -mm. So many bands, they get on a good riff or a good chorus, and they <laughs> just, like, up, like it's right. the, a corpse in the middle of the, the <laughs> stage that they have maces and bats, and just like, <laughs> and then for 20 minutes we play our hit. Like I don't care. Guys. Yeah. I don't care how good any song is, I don't want to hear a 20 minute version of it. I agree. I, I agree. It takes got it balls either. to write a two minute song. Yeah. yeah. It's so good, I don't need oh. any more time to, right. to like blow your mind with it. Exactly. I get in, I do it, I'm out, everyone's like, yeah. what? Yeah. What just happened? Yeah. I completely agree with that. We haven't really talked about Arthur at all. Do you have any opinions about that? <laughs> I was not very fond of that album. Although, is, is that the one that Yes or No Sir is on? Yes, yeah. Is I, that the military one you were telling, that's you were, the one I really you were telling like, me yeah. about? You're trying to remember a song that... Yeah. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Yeah. I think... I like Victoria a lot. Victoria's, Victoria's a great good one also, song. Yeah. I think that uh, listening to Arthur a lot for this, I think I kind of realized I didn't like it as much as I thought I mm. did. Was that right? Yeah. Uh, there are a few songs that are kind of weak, but the strong songs are really great. I feel like... It, I can see its curve already. Like, if I, I would listen to it and be like, oh, this is actually really good. This is really good. Oh, this is well done. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's right. how that would happen. I whereas, like, whereas, like, Lola, right. I heard it two songs in. I was like, oh, I'm going to spend my life listening to this record. Yeah. Not this one. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah. Do you know the story behind this, behind Arthur? Go for it. Um, apparently, he was approached by a TV director, screenwriter, I'm not sure, I forget which. But uh, to, to do the soundtrack for this, this TV, basically a TV play, I think, called Arthur, and it had this whole thing about this common man who, well, I mean, you can kind of figure out the storyline just from listening to these songs. But what happened was that the, they ended up axing the, the show. It never happened, but he'd already written all these songs for it. And so, in a sense, it's a concept album based on this TV show that never happened. <laughs> And you can still, like I said, you can figure out the story. It's it's very Victorian era. It's about like World War One and and Australia, you know, being mm -hmm. colonized by by England and uh, all sorts of little things. Mister Churchill. I mean, it it, it spans quite a, uh, a span of time. And that's I think one of the things is this 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 character Arthur was supposed to be like we're seeing him through the ages of from like nineteenth century through mid twentieth century or something like that. Uh, so he's in all these different things, kind of a Forrest Gump kind of character, I think. <laughs> anyway, so so he ended up with these songs, which were it, it's a real I think it's a very good album, uh, but some some cracks that started to show upon repeated listening. But overall, I think there's a lot of great songs. Well, we mentioned a couple of them. On there. Is there any others that stood out for you? Uh, I thought "Brainwashed" was a great song. 
crab or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm still in my face with this record where I really think it's cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm not at the end good, yet. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, no, I dig it a lot, actually. My my sense is that I could I have a I have like a good twenty more spins of this record in me I think in my own time. Well, just space them out appropriately and you'll last after <laughs> your life. Good. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> How much time do we have? <laughs> oh my God, you guys, don't you realize that in our own lives right now we have a finite amount of records we're gonna listen to. Don't say that. <laughs> I sometimes no. wonder. I look at my CD collection, which is huge, and I think, how many of these will I never touch again? Well, I never see, whenever listen to. I mean, like, do I really need to keep all these? And I, there's no way of knowing. I, well, I, I may, I mean, but a library and a thing that you listen to are two different things. Yes, you're right. It's like a book library. It's not there to actually read everything that's in there. <laughs> no, you just, sometimes you need to have the reference material around somehow. Yeah, yeah, that's true. What an interesting way to measure time. <laughs> By how many albums you have left? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of creepy. How many so albums? Do you how many mean, albums like, like the actual empirical amount of time that you have, or that, too. that the music that'll be generated that you'll be able to listen to in the future? Also, Is that, that you're talking about? yeah. Well, more I was thinking about it from like if I crash my motorcycle tomorrow, you know, like between now and then, I might have three more records left in me that I have time to listen <laughs> oh, to. <God. laughs> Don't say things like that. <laughs> I I shouldn't because that's not the kind of joke you make. Uh, no. How, how were your What was your opinion about Lola? This was actually the first album you were listening to. You I was pretty fond of it. Yeah. Yeah, that was where you started. Right. You, you didn't start chronologically. Well, because I was familiar with Lola, and right, and I just wanted to go straight to that. And so, did you guys see the the arc of the songs in this one? Did you? Mm. work at figuring that out at all or no I think I think I'm still at the phase with it where I'm too distracted by how great each song is I have a hard time okay. yeah. seeing a big picture because yeah. I just I just I'm in the granular aspects of it happily well, so uh, every lyric is here but it's so tiny yeah I saw that it really kill your yeah, eyes to like try to read that point, that's ridiculous four point font <laughs> in handwritten font yeah who decided that that's a bad choice but it's not actually a handwritten font it's an italic so I, I, I have I have figured out the entire Ooh, arc of this album, tell. and it, it is I think it is I, I'm being serious here. This is one of the most well thought out concept albums. I think Tommy probably is up there because it tells a full story. It goes through the whole story, but this does too. This is like a complete storyline. Every song is a step along the way, <laughs> and. If you'd like, I can explain to you. Yeah, I think I'm it waiting is. for you to get it. Yeah. Stop telling us you did it and yeah. just do okay. it. Okay, the contenders. Uh, there we go. Oh, the drop in this song rocks. Yeah. So th this basically is the beginning of their musical existence. It's it's it's, and I think it sort of talks about himself, but it, them as a band. So a little about Dave Davies, but it's it's this is them discovering that they maybe could do music for a living and like saying hey wouldn't it be great if we could make something more of this i think the contenders basically what i think what's saying is they have the skills to contend in so so th this being reality and, and they're deciding that yeah this is what we might be able to do for a living yeah. they've already, been, they've already yeah. been playing music for six years by now don't take this literally. I, I, like, like he's he's telling the story of their life. Uh -huh. Think oh, of I this see. is okay. the story of their music. Well, and then right. it has that nice little bit in the end about like we, we it, it works really well when we're together. Yeah. Like not separated. Right. Right. So I, I think he's, exactly, and and I think 
so so this is about how they are discovering their musical capabilities and maybe they could do something with that uh -huh. so then strangers uh which is <laughs> my favorite yeah it's so amazing um now this is a dave song so i think the dave songs were fit into the storyline i'm not sure that he wrote them with with ray's Mm -hmm. in mind necessarily I don't, don't know yeah I was work. wondering how this was going to fit yeah. in yeah because it it's to me it sounds like a beautiful kind of plaintive love song but I know yeah. it's that doesn't quite fit like I think I, it's more about like a like a drug habit or a, something I, I I see it as like they, they've they've already they've started getting out there and playing and they've hit some rough times and they he's he's trying to just think about is this something I really want to do? You know, is, it, is this going to be, um, you know, are, are, is this worth continuing on? And he's, in the two are not, we are not two, we are one. And we could mm -hmm. be talking about Ray also. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be, they're, they're doing this together, but they're only learning, discovering their, their mutual capabilities together. And, and he's having doubts, I think, you know, there might be, it's kind of a very plaintive song as you, you know, as you described it. Um, so I, th I think that so it goes there so they start out hopeful they're having this period of doubt and then Denmark Street is a little as a background Denmark Street is the street in London where all the music publishers are located and that song if you listen mm -hmm. is all about them going out to find a music publisher and it's one of the funniest songs too it's like um, it's I found it to be a little obvious Lyrically. Sure. Well, it's very matter-of-fact, kind of very literal. Yeah. You know. Uh, and he's talking about going out and trying to trying to talk to music publishers who are... You need to hook up with the music publisher if you want to get your stuff recorded and put out there. Um, and he's just walking the streets of Denmark Street, uh, sidewalks of Denmark Street to find a publisher who will like his music enough to like give him a chance to to, to record something and he talks about uh, one music publisher saying I hate your music and I hate your song songs uh, but I'd hate I'm gonna give you a chance because I'd hate to be wrong you know like and uh, there's a couple other <laughs> parts like that and well, that's what the village people would say to him and <laughs> <laughs> sign you up because I hate to be wrong So, okay, so you get the point of that. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's trying to get out there and... So he's dropped off his music with these publishers and now Get Back In Line uh, is him still trying to like eke out a living uh, from being like just a, a, you know, busking on the street, playing, getting paid very little in clubs and he's waiting and he has to, like, he's collecting unemployment, whatever that is in mm -hmm. Great Britain. And then did he, that happen? Was that how his career went? I think it was. I mm -hmm. think they actually did struggle for a while there, where they were kind of living, you know, I don't know paycheck to paycheck, but like you know, gig to gig, whatever. It's ironic considering he got punched in the face by a union man later in his life, and in this <laughs> song he's like, well, yeah, and and so I think 
the union man approaching him, I mean, it's somebody involved in the music industry. I'm not quite sure what's area, but um, so he, he thinks, like, a couple times he thinks that they're going to give him a chance, and then they keep walking by him, and he's just going to keep waiting for his chance. And uh, then Lola is next. Now, the thing about Lola is I don't think that's part... The, st- the song itself is not part of the storyline, but it is the hit song that they have. Yeah, because he was trying to write a hit song. Right, That right. was mm-hmm. his, like, and so, goal with it. And this is just the hit song. And suddenly, they have a hit with Lola. And, of course, this isn't really how it worked because this is much later than, you know, but we're imagining this is their first big hit. We don't play this. Cause... And then the next song is Top of the Pops, which is which big is r- TV... Hilarious. Yeah. Because... I feel like Top of the Pops would never play a song in this style, which is what <laughs> in the song. I think is the most perfect thing about this song, is that that show is so cheesy, Yeah. and it's just like very crowd-pleasy, like boy bandy, like cutesier oh, than Beatles. I'm unfamiliar with the show. Uh, Top about. of the Pops is a British TV show that's been on forever. It was like American Grand- a Bandstand, like, right. like Dick yeah, Clark's American went Bandstand. Yeah, but later in there, like... Yeah. Into the 80s. Into oh, it the went 90s. forever, yeah. Like, it might it, still even be going. It was yeah. a BBC show, and all anybody who had hit would go on there and uh-huh. this mime is a place their... also four channels. Yeah. The the four BBC channels. controlled everything pretty much for a long time. And they still do. They still do. Um, and, and the... Uh, so, so, Top of the Pops is them going on, like, making it with that song. Mm-hmm. Low, low. Uh, that's what the song is about? Yeah. And, and actually, I but think the... the style s- of it is so The rocking. show, it Top would... of the Pops... Uh, Actually, start out with this something like this intro here. Yes, the drums. Number one. Yes, oh. I think this this that guy actually is the one who does the show. I think I, I read that he was there. Interesting. Yeah, and this is so this song. If you listen to the lyrics, they'll see it's so they're just talking about their climb up the charts and how they. I, this I just feel like at that time I could be completely wrong. Just, it, this song rocks too hard for Top of the Pops oh, to sure. play it, which well, is what's perfect about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're, I think, yeah, and then again, if, if Lola is supposed to be the one that they were playing on Top of the Pops, so this is just him talking about being on Top of the Pops in the form of a song. You're right, I mean, certainly this song would never be on Top of the Pops. Um, so as, as the song goes on, progresses, the, the song climbs the chart until finally, at the end of the song, uh, Oh, is this money yeah, around? Not yet. Not yet. Oh, I love the line here. I went to dinner with a prominent queen, like as though there was any other queen. But then again, you could also read like, uh-huh. like queen. Yeah. yeah so. Fabulous lady. Yeah. So. Your records just got to number one. So now they've hit number one. And so now. One of the funniest songs, probably the funniest song in the album, is The Money Go Round. This is the Muppet song. Well, the intro sounds just like the Muppets. You're right. I never the whole about song that. sounds just like the Muppets. Well, this came first. They're not copying them. It's not about copying. I, I know. It's just I like... know. So this is about how you can be a, have a hit song. All the money you make gets divided up among all these people in the music industry, and you end up with hardly any of it. Like it, it goes to everybody else except the actual, actual creator of the music, and he's just like so dismayed at the reality of the music industry mm. situation. I just I love this. I think it's such a clever little ditty, but it's, it's so like goofy. 
And, and again, it's something where he says, it's such a short song. It's one minute and 43 seconds. Wow. And in that time, he gets across this whole point, and it's just, I don't know, I just, I, I think it's, it's great. It's a little cutesy, I mean, for, like, the song itself, but I think it works because it's, it kind of gives you that Keystone Cops effect, like, the, the kind of this, like, chasing each other around, mm-hmm. like some little black and white film where they're like... Like Benny Hill. Yeah, something mm-hmm. like that. And that's kind of the, like... And you can mm-hmm. picture all these different people running away from him. He's trying to chase after the money, you know, and never quite getting it. So, um, so then, we move along to side two. That ends side one. Or does this time tomorrow? I'm sorry, actually. It might be this time tomorrow. Yeah, this time tomorrow. It seems like it, it would be this time tomorrow. Side two. This, okay. So this time tomorrow, we've moved on. He, he's He's... He's become a little disillusioned with the music industry. Is that a plane? Hit. Yeah. And and so now this he's I, I picture him like them on a tour. He's flying to some the next city on the tour, and he's just like got his head up against the window and just thinking like, where where are we going? Like what what city are we even in next time? And and he's like, might as well be in a spaceship, you know. And he's kind of just wondering about like he's singing about exactly the wealth that I was talking about in that record. And now he's singing about yeah yeah well, but that hadn't happened yet. So. Mm. so so he's just wondering like when when does this end? You know, we were just going to keep going, and where am I going to be next tomorrow, and tomorrow, and the day after that, and the day after that. And it's a little wistful kind of. Thinking maybe this wasn't such a great idea, you know. and then a long way from home is kind of a continuation of that theme. Mm-hmm. A little more. This, I think he's singing to Dave on this one, because you've come a long way from the runny nose and scruffy kid I knew, <laughs> and God. and he's seen what. Do you think he wrote songs to his brother? I, I think I think it's either a, a little bit about his brother, a little bit about himself too. He's also talking to himself, like he's like, so where have I? How did I end up here? You know, like he, he's this. The whole business has just changed him, and he's no longer the happy-go-lucky guy he once was. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very moving song. That harmony. Yeah. That harmony's killer. Yeah. And hit the brothers singing together. Who's older? Uh, Ray. Three years older. When you really got me came out. Dave mm-hmm. was seventeen. Yeah, it sounds like 20. a seventeen-year-old yeah. write that song. With a temper tantrum. <laughs> and their, their immaturity might have been yeah. part of it, but so so now he's really wondering. Like, I think I've got to get out of this because my my life's just like is, I'm not happy. You know. And, 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 I don't think he's saying he's going to leave it. Well, he's no, okay, he doesn't say that yet. Yeah, I'm kind yeah. of projecting, but yeah, uh, big I'm, time. I'm moving along to the next part of the concept mm-hmm. but he but he's just he's he's just down about the whole situation mm-hmm. he's, and he's like remembering that once they were happy you know now they're not now now eight man i think is next oh no rats, rats. rats okay now this cool. is another dave song so rock and roll yeah not even beyond it. i know this was I think about the song like at the time there weren't there wasn't too much music that sounded like this in 1970. No, but then so much shit. This is basically a whole genre of music. Yeah. This song. This is yeah. like George Thorogood's whole. I think this. Once it's it's like southern. 
I think this album was very influential too. Actually, it's one of those I think it didn't sell immensely well. It did better because of Lola. And so I think what how Rats fits into this. And again, I don't know if Dave wrote it with this concept in mind, but I think it's like uh, like starting to recognize that it's it's there are these people in power that aren't going to let them out of this, and they're they're kind of the, the rats are are, are just. Uh, anybody or anything that's like standing in the way of them being happy or trying to do what they want to do like running their their lives the way they want to run it you know? and it talks at the end about somebody having a pinstripe mind and I, I think that's just you know mm, reference to that's like, pretty sweet yeah um so then, then, then it's Eight Man. Mm-hmm. And now this, I had two thoughts about this. At first, I thought, well, maybe it was like a second single they put out, and it was just a, a goofy song, and they were trying to like get out of their contract or something. But actually, I I don't believe that anymore. I, I think, I think this is him taking the next step, like just thinking, okay, I like Ray is realizing he's got to get out of this business and he just wants to go live in the jungle mm-hmm. with nothing to worry about oh, I think no, just, no civilization I disagree with your little bit at the beginning about how he's got to get out I think he just would like to but he's okay. not going to because clearly the man makes 50 more fucking records <laughs> so I really I'm just saying he didn't that. Know that little quibble on little quibble on your 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 meaning he didn't know that at the time and he felt he may have felt this way and thought that maybe at some point he really would call it quits you know you never know I'm just saying that there's that possibility so so he's going about how the world is just like out of control and then he would just be so much happier just living literally in the jungle with no clothes and you know whatever so that's him like completely just daydreaming now I love the bass line yeah. and the piano and really I was going to say the piano really works out, so. yeah but then the accent is weird but what even is it why is he doing that it's very strange I don't know if that accent's so intentional. It's totally It's a little bit of Dave and Ray's voices together that no I like. Coming He's totally accent. singing in a weird accent. Well. A weird, jungly, cutesy, weird accent. I don't yeah, understand it, it why. Is, it is a bit cutesy. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's a little, like, this song is a little bit like Yellow Submarine to me. Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Goofy. In it's a more way like that's. like Rocky Raccoon. No, Rocky Raccoon is sublime. That song is not goofy I, I did, at all. I like the song. I this like song it. is goofy as shit. <laughs> so Power Man, which is next, is my favorite song on the album. I love this song so much. It's just so so cool. He, so he's he's had his little daydream about living in the jungle, and now he's turning his focus on like the guy who's really holding him back, and it's the guy who's pulling all the strings, the record company or music publisher or whatever, and doesn't give a damn about Ray's life at all. He's singing yeah. about the man. The That's man. what he's singing about. Yeah, right. And but spe- more specific, he mentioned specifically the music industry in this song yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, but. And I just love the galloping beat in this thing. I kicks yeah, in. So. so good. My notes say so Beatles esque, the harmonies, but oh, uh, also way better ass than any Beatles song. It is. I, I yeah. Prairie Studio songs could be quite like this. Yeah. This this song gives me chills, literally, almost every time I hear it. It's just like... I... Yeah. 
And I can't tell if that's Ray or Dave singing in the beginning there. I swear it sounds like Dave. But then I think it's Ray at some point. I think Ray wrote this. Ray did write this song. So talking about that idea of how records hold, like an album holds together mm-hmm. as a whole, this song for me exemplifies a part of that where this song is so good, it makes every other song on the record better. Hmm. Like just knowing this song is on this record to me makes everything like hmm. makes me want to listen to everything else on it. That's great. Uh, yeah. Right? You yeah. Know what I'm I never about. thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I never is, thought. Is, it, is it a presumption that, that every other song will be somewhat good? Well, also because. But the interesting thing is, you've already gotten to bust the album. Yeah. And it's almost like a retroactive. Yeah. Kind of once, once back. I got all the way. So, like, like, for me, this record, like, the first by the time "Strangers" kicked into the the, the most plaintive part about um, "Strangers on This Road We Are On," mm. "We Are Not Two, We Are One," which is like. Yeah the most perfectly cuddled tucked together like two lines yeah. I was like this is going to be a record for my life yeah. and that was before I heard Power Man and now whenever I think about any of these songs or listening to this record or talking about this record Power Man is the one in the back of my head playing the whole time and I'm just like yes that's yeah. why it, is it, does it have anything to do with where it is on the album if it had no. been placed earlier no nope. I, I don't it's just that it is with the rest of the songs yeah. like they're like a family together it's like yeah, kind of like everything's leading up, like a, like sure, a, you could say that it leads up to up that to song it. in a way, and, and or like, or the rest of the songs provide context to it. Like they couldn't have written Power Man without the rest of these songs. So each one of them contributes to making this song sound so great. Are you with Dave on, on that? This is a storyline. And, yeah, and, and, I, and Power I, Man has a, I think a, a place in yes, there. definitely. I completely agree with yeah. his like main top line assessment of the the storyline. I could quibble with him about nonsense about it for yeah. like sure. hours. Sure. <laughs> no one would ever need to listen to it. But um, yeah, no, I think it fits the arc of the hmm. the record for sure. Well, and he even compares the story of it. He he, it he mentions Hitler, Mussolini, and like. Yeah, he's pissed. It's like he is so angry because yeah, he's really talking about the record company guys, and he's comparing them to these dictators, you know. And it's <laughs> and he's not. And the yeah. thing is, he's not wrong either. He's complete. completely yeah. right. And yeah. I wonder how many people before this said this shit out loud on a recording. Yeah, yeah. And Frank Zappa talking might shit have. about their bosses. Essentially. Yeah. There is there is a tradition of bands that <clears throat> take it to the the companies like that, like Elvis Costello with. Radio, radio, and mm-hmm. uh, the Sex Pistols with EMI. And, sure. And, uh, Spoon has one about a manager that screwed them Neil over. Neil Young has one. Well, of course, uh, Neil Young probably yeah, has. He's got a couple like, hours really angry. Well, before the song is over, I want to mention this. This reminds me of the song by Hocus Pocus. And there's like yodeling in it. Lordly, lordly, Jesus Christ. Are you trying to ruin this for us? Who's Hocus Pocus? You know, they have a number of. Uh, pretty good songs, but uh, I, I'm not going to play it now because I don't want to ruin this. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think another time though. Another time. I think oh, yeah, I, I know the song fun. you're talking about, but it's I a lot of fun. I know what you're talking about. I actually do, and yeah. it's, it's got a good riff. But that yodeling is kind of ridiculous. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> Are you responding to the technical proficiency needed to yodel like that, <laughs> or do you like listening to yodeling? Uh, just this one song. Just this one song. Yeah. I like listening to Dolly Parton yodel. Oh, yeah, yeah, she does a wonderful job, too. Yeah. That's true. She's an amazing star. Yeah, we'll finish up here. I'll play it for you. Um, so at the end of this, he says, I've, uh, he's got my money and my publishing rights, but I've got my girl and I'm all right. And so he's just, 
he's like over the course of the song he goes from being angry at him and like at this power he holds over his life and you, he actually breaks free by the end of the song so he's like well of course he's we like, know he's going to break free because right. it does in the last song on the so this song actually is is moving the story along in, within mm-hmm. the song not mm-hmm. just you know and that's that's what a lot of like theater songs are supposed to do it. they're supposed to like move the story from point A to point B not just like illustrate a point in the song so this is where the playwright thing comes from right and I really think <laughs> no and I th- I think it's a very legitimate comparison I think he whoa in many ways is a playwright <laughs> so that's I just need to think out loud for a second so Rushmore I've always thought that Rushmore is a, a movie about a director Max Fisher is is the, the director mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. like it's like kind of autobiographical Wes Anderson making this Jason Schwartzman version of yeah. himself Max Fisher in okay. this movie and if they're playing a King song in it and you think that Ray Davies is a playwright it's like a playwright about a playwright Whoa. about a playwright totally blew my mind man <laughs> well I hope you're going to be able to continue now that you've blown your well, yeah, mind yeah I just wanted to talk about yeah, it because no, I love Rushmore and that's such a great song but you've got to watch it I, I will. We'll go, I'll watch it with you sometime right. So the final song on the album is Got to Be Free, and uh, and that's where he's sort of just sort of celebrating and, and reinforcing the fact that he he just can't live the way he was living under the the, the music publisher uh, record company structure. And this kind of starts out the same way that the first song on the album mm-hmm. starts out mm-hmm. with that little kind of banjo-y sort of. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not a banjo. Well, there's a little banjo in this section. Actually, no, you know what, he, uh, Dave had a national guitar, one of those steel, no, like, silver metal acoustic guitars. Cool. And I think that's what he's playing there. It's a bit of a banjo effect. And then again, just like the first song, it kicks in. Mm-hmm. And he talks about he's not going to be anybody's slave, and, you know, just... It's a final declaration of yeah. independence based on. So much like a protest song. Yeah. Right. And that's why he's, he's protesting the, the way that the whole music business is run. And it's not. You know, but as we were saying, he ended up sticking with it. <laughs> maybe, I, I don't know what happened later. Like he, Maybe he found a way to like operate under different, better contracts or something. I, don't, I didn't really go too much into that. But. So do you think when he wrote Lola do you think he wrote it like on purpose to have the same Coca-Cola in it knowing that that was not okay? (laughs) Because like that would be so fucking brilliant to write a song about a transvestite but to have the controversial aspect of it being able to be played on the radio, the fact that he mentions a soft drink. Yeah. Are you familiar with Hmm. what happened there? No. Uh, He used, you know, and it tastes just like Coca-Cola. Well, he ended up re-recording that bit to say cherry cola because Coca-Cola company protested or they sued, whatever they did. Um, And so he had to re-record it with cherry cola, so it was a non-brand thing. And so I wonder and if she might maybe distracted. Yeah, maybe like, that was a sneaky like. A I'm gonna write thing? a song about a transvestite, but I'm gonna mention a fucking brand and let's see what people care more about. Which do I get stopped for? Talking about something controversial or threatening a, a magical corporation? And guess what? I 
the Coca-Cola thing is more of a problem for that song than the transvestite aspect. It'd be interesting. I, I could see it being intentional. I mean, that's, that's a very good point. Yeah. And well, kind of like a, a quick, uh, like a magic trick where you're like, hey, it's look over trick. here. It's a hat yeah, trick. Yeah. 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 Look, look over here at this thing and, and and you kind of forget about that. And that, that kind of gets it under the door. Everybody talks about, us, oh, that's the song with the Coca-Cola. And then meanwhile... I think a lot of listeners of Lola fans below probably took them a long time to figure yeah. out what it was about. If they, you could, even to this day, yeah, I bet there are people who don't know. Because you could listen to it because the chorus is so like drunken, like rousing mm-hmm. chorus. Lo, lo, yeah. lo. You could do that yeah. for hours. Right. Such a right. You could hear it one second and sing along with it. And then the chorus comes yeah, in and you're just like, yeah, you don't think about that part. But I want to think he did it on purpose. I like that. I like that interpretation. Yeah, I, that he put I, it I out there true, in the world actually. and was like, <laughs> all right. Show me what's more important to you, like your morality or your corporations. Yeah, I, I, I hope I hope you did. I guess we'll never know for sure. But uh, so that's that's my very long-winded explanation of how I feel this the album goes. But I, I'm just so impressed. I, you know, again, it's open to the debate, uh, my, the particulars of my assessment. But I, I I feel like it really holds together very well in that whole arc. It's just beginning to end. It really follows this succinct storyline you could mm-hmm. I, you could actually take this and make a Broadway play out of it right. I think like song for song and just have a little bit of action between and then these songs just punctuate it and and it would make a really good I, I'd go see it finally I think we've actually talked about Muzzle Hillbillies enough that we probably don't need to say too much more about it I mean you guys neither were fans of it I would like to point out a song or two that I think are oh. particularly excellent though we're gonna play alcohol right you didn't I like love that, it. Right? I love you that song. Not. I really do. Oh, wait, you actually like? Yeah, but you're saying that was one you didn't like. No, I love it. <laughs> Are you kidding? A song with the chorus, "Oh, Demon Alcohol." Oh, it's demon the best. It's a great song. I love 20th Century Man. I think That's that, that was also, that yeah. was the yeah. hit off the album, quote unquote hit. There was no other song that was played. I think really. Skin and Bone made me sad because it's got a cool title, but the song's kind of boring. Mm. Takes a while to kick in here. I love the, the guitar in here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is probably my favorite song on the album. Just there's some other good. Oh, actually, well, we'll get to that later. One of his other most beautiful compositions is on this album. In my opinion. not Oklahoma, USA. Right. Oh, come on. That yeah. is a beautiful it's song. It's so cringy. It's like listening to Tom Jones sing about being a coal miner okay, in America. Well, uh, we'll get there. We'll it's get there. not okay. Stop. <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> Let's enjoy this song while we have oh, it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I wasn't allowed to have an opinion. You can have an opinion when we get to that song. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great song. Yeah. The yeah. Uh, cute schizophrenia paranoia blues bothers me because he says schizophrenia. He doesn't say. Maybe he's saying schizophrenia. Oh, but it's supposed to sound like this kind of drunk. I don't. I don't. I, I would agree if that was like, this is the sound of their band and this is how they perform. But they're. He's he's using this music it's for a, effect. It's a. It's not a good genre of music. It's cheesy. It's and theatrical, corny, and that's what he. And, and yeah, he and was theatrical. at this point. He was turning all of his energy toward looking ahead, which I don't think he knew what was coming. But he ended up doing 
four concept albums in a row after this. Hmm. Four or five, and they weren't very good. That's they're self-indulgent. They are. They're extremely that's the self-indulgent. And, and that's where like, he got he he got I think up to this point. It, like he's just in his own head and he's yeah. like, No, this I can do this crazy right. thing. And and not stopping to think if anybody actually cared about The fact that Dave stuck with him through all that is just amazing to me. I, I don't Well, but the thing is they're good songs, right? Like I'll give it that. Well here they the are style I do you think? Like I think like they're well written. The musicality of it. I guess I can't dispute that. It just doesn't appeal to me. No, I agree with you 100%, but I think they're not terrible. They're not bad songs in themselves. Just like Village Green, I can admit that too. They're not bad songs. I just hate the style that they're. And the meaning behind them. (laughs) Everything about them. No, not everything. Um, But after after this album, that's where his his songwriting skills got lost a bit, I think. You know, he. He detoured into something too deep into his head and not enough editing of any sort. Yeah, so he made this record. He's like, hey guys, check out what I'm about to do. Everyone's like, oh, I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe not. And, and Muswell Hills, where they grew up, I don't know if you knew that. This is so, so they are, they, Muswell Hills, it's that's suburb, place then. suburb right. outside of England, uh, London. Uh, and that's where they call themselves Muswell Hillbillies. And then, hence the country influences being brought into the mix. And he's, all these songs are about, in one way or another, I think, about uh, life in It's like suburbs. being an old man in that town. Sure. And, in, that, and, in that neighborhood. And again, I think that's his intent, and you don't find it interesting, but no, I, I happen to think these songs are really good. I, I, skin and bone is kind of cheesy. It's like so that. close to being awesome. Yeah. Maybe you just need to give it a few more listens. Um, so here's alcohol. You, you, yeah, uh, yeah. So you like alcohol a lot. I do really like this. I know it's cheesy as shit, but I love it. Well, and this sounds like a Tom Waits song to some extent, like that it instrumentation. It definitely does. And and then it's like got he that could, theatrical like rhythm to it as well. This whole album, I, mm. I think it's very. Tom Waits would never make something this country and this dad. No, dad okay, sure, and that's so country, but there's definitely some overlap. He would he would put a this song, song with a tuba in it. Yeah. You can picture him singing the song, couldn't you? Yeah. 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 That is gruff, yeah. I'm curious to know if Tom, Tom Woods could easily have been influenced by some of this stuff. Possibly. He, he may have some of that. He may have dug some of the theatrical stuff that. Maybe, Ray but was he doing. was on his own, like, kick. I mean, well, I don't know. He had a lot of influences, knows? I think. Yeah. I mean, fair to say. He was really but... into Bertolt Brecht and, like, into the German, like, absurdist theater from the 1930s. Yeah. Okay, so. I love it. It's so ridiculous. Well, you can sort of see him swaying. Yeah. I like that it's a drunk song about drinking. Yeah. Yelling at the booze while you're drunk from it. It's and again, just, I, th- I think it's fun to me. I think that a song like this is deceptively hard to write. I mean, I, I, this may mm. seem sloppy or something, but I think it's really well constructed and mm. uh, the, the playing on it to be this casual, but 
And there's a Music horn in the background that I really, really do too. And then there's like this I, rocking I do guitar. Appreciate in it. that, yeah. Yeah. It's like the horn. It's like that high pit. Thing. Yeah. Oh, it's it's kind a clarinet. Oh yes, yeah. That's it. Which is interesting. So we got a tuba. We got a clarinet. No, trumpet. That's a trumpet there. Yeah. But there was a. There was a clarinet. Clarinet. Thing. Um. So it's a complicated life. There was. Uh, people in gray. That's a pretty good one. It's creepy too that song. Which is why I like it also. Do you like this? Here come the people in gray to take me away. No. And kind of rocks. I, the, the lyrics don't do as much for me to be honest. But. Yeah, I don't like it when. People I'm liking it more this listening yeah. than when I. Yeah. This is the record or this song? This this is a whole lot. Many yeah. of these songs. Yeah. 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 See, it just takes another listen sometimes. Yeah. This this song is so much like something <laughs> from um, uh, Exile on Main Street. I could mm, easily yeah, see this as like a Sprawling Stones. And it's pre. He wouldn't have sung it this way. Weird voice. Yeah, yeah, I know. This is a weird voice in this one. He does. Well, even on Victoria, he does that. You know, he loses. I don't know why. Because then he switches to his regular voice. I, I, he it's, he's putting on some character, and I, I don't really. I would know like to make a playlist of all the songs where he sings in a weird voice on purpose. Just, I think it would be just interesting. That to would be fun to listen to. Yeah. But then he kicks into his regular voice here, I think. It's kind of a relief to me. Well, not quite yet, but it gets higher again. So then there's Have a Cup of, have a cup of Tea, which you, yeah. you already talked about. Yeah. Holloway Jail, it was fine. I don't think it's particularly noteworthy. Is your Oklahoma song? No. Yeah, this is like such a... It's another theater song. It's also a country song. Like how many... I think every well, single like, country well, this is like, in the world is recorded. Threw My Baby Down the Well or something. Right, you know? exactly. <laughs> I watched They Took My Baby Away to Jail. Like they yeah. took my woman from me and took well, and, her to jail. And like, he's, he's clearly referencing that kind of song. Yeah. It's not, you know, certainly no accident. I just think other people have done this. Before. Okay, so here's Oklahoma, USA, which I think is a beautiful song. I think it's one of his more... Because you like it, you think what? That it's one of his best songs? It's my opinion. Mm. Yes. Mm. The melody is really pretty. And then, then well, the next part where he gets... I told you he has a lot of love for Americans. That I think that was from touring the it's years still they did like tour. Seeing I Oklahoma, USA sounds super weird. It sounds like a bad translation. You know, he might have read tons of books on the story of Oklahoma, for all we know. Why? <laughs> he might have seen the musical Oklahoma. Oh God! <laughs> I hope not for his sake. <laughs> 
I don't know. I, I that part doesn't bother me, I, and I, I see how it's in keeping with what you're saying yeah. about the other thing. I, I get that, but I don't. I don't it like it when me. people sing heartfelt songs about things as if they know what it is. But I, when I can sense that it doesn't, like I hear in there somewhere I, that it's okay, a here, bullshit on it. Here's something I believe about <laughs> Ray Davies. I think he's an extremely empathetic person, despite his being a jerk. Yeah. And I think he doesn't have that much trouble putting himself in the place of other people. And. Hmm. And imagining what life is like for them. And I started out agreeing with you, and by the end, I disagreed with you. Did I say something in the way that I could take back? What <laughs> well, 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 could it be like, you know, actors, whoever they are and do whatever they do, they, they portray characters in movies. Good and, point. and perhaps he has a song that, I don't know, I don't know what would have inspired him to write it, but you know, he has this fantasy or this vision of mm. somebody who does like Oklahoma or does dig the village green. Mm. And so he wrote a song about it. Mm. He's portraying mm-hmm. fantasy. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, actors don't necessarily live everything that they portray. And they, some they, some they do drive really around well. fancy cars and don't buy their own yeah, groceries. Yeah, that's you know? for sure. I think either three of the viewpoints are completely viable. Yeah. I think your point about him really having some magical respect and, and, and love for this small town beauty is a totally viable option, I think, what you're saying about him. Like an actor being able to inhibit this space and really feel it and be empathetic with it, it's amazing. And I also think that I could be very... I think we could all... Bl- bl- like back, we could all back up our positions on this yeah. pretty strongly, which is amazing. I know. <laughs> At the end of the day, that shit's, and, that's badass. You know Three and, different people and we're all like... And the Super. truth is somewhere in between. It's like some combination of those things and, and, and some Or the truth proportion. is only whatever was in his head when he did yeah, it. Exactly. And we'll never fucking know. Right, right. Which is okay with me. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not going to lose any sleep over here knowing that. <laughs> no, I'm still going <laughs> to just appreciate keep listening to his music and right. be glad that he wrote it. Yeah. And he put yeah. it in the world and then I get, to, I get to hear it. I'm so glad about that. Yeah. All uh, of it. Indeed. Okay. I, yeah. yeah, I... I I think overall he's just a brilliant songwriter and uh, yeah. there aren't too many people who can compare to his the breadth of his uh, discography. Yeah, and we only did this one section. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of equally terrified and excited to know what's beyond it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty 50-50 split. <laughs>